This is these are good things. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, boys and girls, children of all ages, non-binary folks, intersex questioning, uh, all of the human beings that represent this wonderful human tapestry. This is the Punk Rock Barbershop coming to you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, also known as Marion Anderson City. And on the Punk Rock Barbershop, we have black artists and black creatives talk about their origin stories, their life, their career trajectory, the white artists that have influenced them, and how they feel about those influences. The very short way of saying that is black artists and black creatives talking about white influences. I'm your host, Michael Robertson Reed, and uh, I'm very excited. I've got a uh, you know a friend here. So I feel like we're, we're friends. friends. We're, we're friends. friends. Um, so, friend, can you introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Sonia Galabert. I am a farmer, artist, educator, community organizer, maker of hot sauces and pickles. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, like, so, like, do you? grow pickles or do you like buy pickles and then you put something like cool on them to um i started getting into pickling and hot saucing Mm -hmm. because i was working at an urban farm yeah where pickles or i'm sorry cucumbers all these different produces especially peppers were growing faster than we knew what to do with interesting and and peppers in particular you can't eat a whole bunch of hot peppers at once so you know so Instead of having them go bad, I started making sauces um, with some inspiration from the folks around me mm-hmm. and found I had a knack for it. So now I, I use the hot peppers grown by black and brown farmers in the city to make hot sauce. And I share that with my community. Interesting. Okay, that's super cool. Uh, also, at some point, <laughs> I won't necessarily do this in the interview uh, I will probably try to just convince you to like just open up a, a like a pickle business and like because I I actually think if you would if you were into it I think that that could be a very lucrative enterprise socially financially spiritually like listen I'm already there okay I plan on starting a business awesome um, everyone who has tried my hot sauce has asked for more nice and it's been very positively received by my folks awesome uh, so yeah I'm super grateful for the people around me who've who've trusted my palate enough nice. to try yeah. my sauce and I'm super grateful for my roots that inspire and mm-hmm. inform the flavors um, it's, it's a whole story you know I'm a third third generation hot sauce maker Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So let so let let's uh let's work through that. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to talk about. So we will we'll dive into your your origin story. Um yeah, so where 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 are you from? Where where did you grow up and all of that? Um I saw a bit of a pattern with some of your interviewees. Mm-hmm. You seem to have a couple of international yes. mixed race military yes. babies. Yes. Tatiana's interview was really awesome. It was great to hear her story. Shout out shout out to you shout Tatiana. Shout out to you Tatiana. Tatiana Taylor Failinger, I believe was uh I'm, I was trying to make sure I'm pronouncing people's names correctly also shout out to tatiana because um she's like she sort of opened up a chain of like she's referring me to people who want to be interviewed and they refer me to people so that's awesome but yeah so so there there are some similar uh some commonalities in your yes. background and biography that uh, have aligned with the backgrounds of some of the other people that yeah. have been interviewed. So, you know, I was a Navy, I was a Navy brat mm-hmm. and the product of uh, a military marriage. Yeah. And your your dad is was is was a Navy guy. Yeah, my dad was a Navy guy and he was stationed in Okinawa okay. where my mother is from. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so, yeah, my, my dad's a black dude from DC. Uh, we've got roots in the Caribbean. We've got roots in Richmond, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my mother is from Okinawa, which is an indigenous island in Japan. A lot of folks don't know that Okinawa has its own history, mm, okay. has its own ethnic group, language, culture, music, everything um, that's different from the Japanese legacy. And so Okinawa is actually an island that has been colonized for military purposes, both by Japan and the right. United States. Uh, and so, you know, that side of my identity is also mm-hmm. very layered as well. So so is this so the the people that are indigenous to Okinawa? So is that the Ainu, the Ainu? So the Ainu are the indigenous folks in the northern part of the Japanese archipelago. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the folks who are indigenous to Okinawa are called Ryukyu. Okay. R-Y-U-K-Y-U. Okay. And we see each other as cousins, right? Okay. Like you've got different tribes of the First Nations here. Mm-hmm. Um, similar relationship, right? Like we have we have sim- the sure. same ancestors. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, so your, your dad grew up in DC like that, like, you know, that's, that's where he did his thing. Yeah. He, um, grew up both in DC and in St. Thomas. Okay. My grandfather was one of the few black dentists practicing in DC hmm. and he uh, taught at Howard university. Awesome. My dad was born at Howard university. Awesome. Um, and so my grandfather also had a dental practice in St. Thomas. So he would travel back between DC and St. Thomas to, to practice dentistry. Yeah. And my dad would go with him. So my dad was a dentist in the Navy as well. Okay. This is, this is all right. I'm, I'm love, I'm loving all of this. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Cause uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, anytime I hear someone is, so I'm always uh, intrigued when people have like, non-combat jobs in the military because you know like like i've known of certain people who are like career lawyers it like you know in the air force i'm like like that's super interesting still gotta go to boot camp yeah 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 Yeah, you you gotta get the medals and everything gotta gotta get that training in but i'm like yeah like that's super uh yeah that's super interesting yeah my dad was mostly caring for folks who are enlisted and who you know so his patients were you know also military family members but he was caring for folks in the military. So he also deployed. Mm, he was on a mm-hmm, ship. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the things. But instead of combat, he was on the me- medical care side of things. Okay. The medic. If you yeah. play video games, like he's the medic, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't <laughs> play video games. I think I know what a medic. You know, I, I feel like I've watched enough movies. I'm already revealing yeah. a little bit about myself. No, this is good. <laughs> this is good. Yeah, I I love. Yeah, you know, so I'm 40 years old, as you've heard mentioned in <laughs> podcasts and maybe i've mentioned to you so yeah i was like a big nintendo guy growing oh, yeah. well atari and then nintendo once it got into the sony playstation i just mm. i started just watching a lot of movies then so i i haven't really played video well, this games is actually a, a great segue i mentioned that my brother is also around your age mm-hmm. and uh i i spent a good chunk of my developmental early childhood years in okinawa i was born there and i moved to the states in 2000 when i was around eight or nine Mm -hmm. and granted I lived on a military base similar to Tatiana um, but I really was immersed in the Okinawan culture a lot because my family was there and I spent a lot of time off base and so when I moved to the states my dad's family was like oh word you're new like let me show you American culture so my cousin gave me a now five cd and an LL Cool JC. Awesome. And she was like this is your homework right and then my my dad got me some video games as, as a way of, of having a hobby while I was home because yeah. I wasn't quick to make friends. Right. And so my brother, who um, had just finished at ECU, 
came home and and the first couple of months of living in the states was me and my brother playing video games in the basement yeah and so video games was really like how i was able to transition from Mm, being mm -hmm. in this culture to the Mm -hmm. next Mm -hmm. and ever since it's been a passion it's it's like it's deeply embedded in you yeah n64 ps2 sega genesis like all of that (laughs) i love it okay there's there's a lot here that i want to dig into um so how did your how did your parents meet um, something that was pretty common in Okinawa in the past was that uh, military wives would teach English in public schools okay. off base. And so a dad's, my, my dad's friend, his wife was teaching at my cousin's school, my mother's side of the family. Gotcha. Right? gotcha. And so yeah. through mutual friends in that capacity, like my aunt was in the PTA. She became friends okay. with my dad's friend. My aunt was like, mom, sister's single. And my, his mm-hmm. friend was like, mm-hmm. my friend's single. And that's how they met. Nice. Are they are they still together? Yes, they are still together. How many years they've been married? I'm Um, assuming they're married. Yeah, they're married. I think they're close to 30 years. It's a solid amount of time. That's good. Yeah. Um, Very in love still. I mean, it's like one of the best relationships I think I've ever seen in life. And and I I always grew up um, with this awareness of how blessed I am to have parents who are really in love. Like they want to be together. and so to be a product of that is really a gift. And they now live in Okinawa where my mother's from. And uh, they built a small house on my nice. grandfather's farmland. Whoa, that's that's really cool. It is. That's it's beautiful. badass. My yeah. dad is a retired Navy dentist turned chicken farmer. I love it. Uh, so he's practicing like no-till farming. And my mom's family historically is agricultural. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I've kind of come full circle with my work Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. that I I came to agriculture through social justice. Mm -hmm. It felt like that food made the most sense to me in in terms of addressing systemic issues rather than symptomatic ones. Um, And that's something that comes out of my dad's family inspiration. My grandmother is in the DC hall of fame for her work uh, in, in social justice work in DC. And then I ultimately, you know, I'm at this crossroads mm-hmm. of yeah. agriculture and justice. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's interesting to have com- new common language with my family on my mother's side yeah. now that this has become my work. Um, yeah. Yeah. That is. Yeah. Yeah. It, one of the things that I, w- I wonder about is how many of those things that happen is like, oh, it's just a cool kind of coincidence that just has a lot of meaning because of your background and your biography and the work that you do and how much of it is just it's so deeply implanted in your mm. subconscious that like it's so deeply implanted that people really have no idea about and you could examine and look at it for 10 million years and be like oh well this is the point when this thing started evolving and it's like it's actually so deep that it's the the rational brain can't understand that and then there is a part of me that really does think, I, I I really do believe on a certain degree the idea that children choose their parents when they're in mm. that ether, non-physical mm-hmm. realm, and and you, that your essence is like the, these are the people that I want to live through, and all of the joy, the pain, the sorrow, maybe even the really like oh my parents kind of like fucked me up with this thing mm. unintentionally, like right. all because of love, I. I really do think that on some element there is a cosmic design yeah, or let's thing go that, there. that yes. goes into that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think you're right. I think it's all of the above. You know, I, I think unconsciously 
I was meant to come back to the land. Yeah. Um, and consciously, mm-hmm. you know, like it made sense to me cognitively. Yeah. I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Um, and so it, it's that eternal struggle or, or questioning of like will or fate. Is mm-hmm. this my will or is mm-hmm. this my fate? Mm-hmm. And I think it's both. Yeah. I think it can be both. Yeah. You know, it feels like both. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I I wrote a short film uh, like two years ago. And it was it was me unpacking a lot of um, trauma that I had gone through in life. And uh, this was sort of in the immediate aftermath of me transitioning away from Treehouse. And then I worked another job and it was super traumatic. And uh, just this whole series of events really unraveled where I was actually like in not in a not healthy space at all. Um, and some people know this, some people don't. I, I don't mind sharing it. So like I was actually in a behavioral health facility for like 10 days. Like, you know, I uh, around 2016, I mean, I just really spiraled. There was personal tragedies that like aggravated it. What I didn't realize was that I had actually been depressed for like 10 years and I had no idea. So there was suicidal ideation, a lot of self-harm going on. Naomi found me with like a, uh, I had a belt that like I was going to choke myself with. So she put me in a behavioral health facility it was literally the best thing that ever happened to me because it just it got the ball rolling and I just started unpacking a lot of stuff. Anyways, um, I was I was writing a, a, a film script partially because, you know, I was trying to get back into the arts and partially to process the emotions that I was going through. And I was listening to a lot of this one particular band and I was like, okay, well, I don't know what to name this script, so I'm just going to come up with this throwaway title. So I sort of based it off of the title of the song that I was listening to. And the song was called Heidegger in Harlem. And I don't really know what it's about, but I'm like, oh, well, this sounds cool. So I'm like, well, I'm going to reference a German philosopher and incorporate it into Philly. So I'm going to call it Schopenhauer in Brewery Town because I, you know, Naomi and I lived in Brewery Town for like five years so, and that's, uh, I realize I talk very quickly. Brewery town for people that aren't from Marion Anderson City. Anyways, so I I was like, okay, well, let me just throw in a quote by Schopenhauer so that it doesn't look like I just randomly made up this title, even though I did. Like, I want to look like I kind of know what I'm talking about. So then I stumbled upon this quote from Schopenhauer where it was essentially just like talking about how... Like you're there, there is a certain destiny to your life, and and there is this like very cinematic element that like when you're going through it, it feels like pure hell because you're like, how the fuck did I end up here? What is going on? But then when you look back on it, it actually all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Even you know, and this is just my take. Like even like the truly personal, like painful things that like got me to a point where I'm considering suicide. I'm like, in some bizarre way, like all of that is really the thing that enables me to do this stuff now. So yeah, I mean, just you talking about that, like, you know, the, the, the choice and destiny intersection, that's, that's how that resonates. And and I think, I feel you, I think tragedy is, is a moment where that gets tested the most, you know, like we were talking earlier about loss and Mm -hmm. I think the greatest tragedy I've experienced in my life is the death of my older sister, Oyana, um, through a really aggressive gastric cancer Mm -hmm. experience. Um, in a very formative time, you know, it was my first semester away from yeah, home wow. after college or after high school. Yeah, yeah. And between diagnosis and death was only five months, you know? So she yeah. was diagnosed at my college graduation week 
and she passed before the end of my wow. first semester. So that really pushed um, everybody in my family to kind of question yeah. everything, yeah. you know. And I, I watched my father who throughout his life had been a spiritual mm. sojourner, you know, like yeah. searching, yeah. right? He's like traversed through a lot of different faiths and disciplines to try and find truths. And I, I watched a lot of that kind of come to a halt, mm-hmm. at, um, largely because of this loss, you yeah. know, it makes you question everything. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I think over time though, as you get to zoom out a little bit and that experience synthesizes into mm-hmm. everything else about your life, um, you can find beauty Yeah. and you can find purpose yeah. and inspiration and, I have to move through the world feeling like there's purpose to mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it, it's exhausting. Absolutely. And depleting and extractive Absolutely. and all of those yeah. things. And so, um, yeah, I feel you. I think that those hard times are also fruitful. Yeah. And it's up to us to to pick the fruit once it's ripened. Yeah. You know, it doesn't happen right away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that is something that I wish a lot of black folk... In particular, I mean, anyone who's been othered, but, you know, black folk, you know, we, you know we get a lot of othering um, because I there there, there is a, a certain part of me that one I one of the reasons I love to hear about people's stories and backgrounds and particularly I love hearing black people like over the age of 70 and sometimes like 90 and 100 just talk about their childhoods because mm-hmm. the the amount of like love and warmth and beauty and community that's existing even in the most just insane like shit it's there's so many assets yeah you know and so and, many and i really there's so much i want to talk about yeah. around this topic um i think that the first thing i'll say is that Uh, one of the greatest disservices of the narratives of black community today is that um, folks think that like the ghetto was always ghetto. Right. The hood was always Mm -hmm. hood. Black people Mm -hmm. have always been poor. And that's Mm -hmm. just not true. Right. Like we live in a city where there are many, many places that are historic black commercial corridors. And so when we talk about things like community control of land, Mm -hmm. which is something that I I really am committed to, um, we don't have to look that far back. Right. Yes. There's actually a lot of evidence and there's still a lot of people who are alive who were around to see that yeah and in in hearing from elders right like my father is in his in his 70s now he grew up in segregation Mm -hmm. um he was in college in the 60s when riots were happening and so um we really don't need to look that far back right it's very sankofa like just go back and get it yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely and it's it's one of the things that i didn't necessarily appreciate when i was a kid because i mean like i mean you know I feel like I was a lot of typical eight-year-old Well, American we're not boys. exposed to yeah, that, right? Yeah. And like one of the things that I, I really was excited to talk to you about it is the lack of black imagination mm-hmm. I was exposed to growing mm-hmm. up and why white imagination yeah. took up a lot of space in my influence in my life. Um, all the black literature and media I was exposed to, I was connected to struggle. Yeah, yeah. And oppression yeah. and this like overcoming story, which is is a valuable narrative. Right. And it's not the only one. Not right? the only one. So like, where are the black people in sci-fi? Right. Where are the black people in fantasy? Mm-hmm. Like, why are we not able to picture black people right. in these like spaces outside of struggle? Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's real. No, it's it's super real. It's super real. And w- one of the things that um, uh, that 
has really got me thinking about this is a couple of uh, like a year ago, I really tried to read um, Miles Davis's autobiography that was written back in like the late 80s or early 90s, um, partially as like a way to kind of try to connect with my dad because my dad just lives, breathes and dies hard bop jazz. Mm. Miles Davis, Thelonious Monk, Charlie Parker are like the pillars of my dad's, uh, you know, artistic influences and Steve McQueen and Bob Newhart, which I learned when I interviewed my dad for this podcast. But Miles Davis, I think in particular, is a very interesting case of he came from this fairly prominent family. His father was a dentist. Um, I think either his father or his grandfather owned hundreds of acres of land mm. in Arkansas. He grew up hunting and fishing. Like, you know, I mean, he he lived in East St. Louis and went down to Arkansas. So, he, you know, he was like a, a country black kid who hunted right. and fished, like the things that our people have done for years. And yeah, like either his uncle or his grandfather actually like ran for like state representative in Illinois somewhere. He came from this prominent family. His family were Garveyites and and he talks about how he was in school and um, one of his teachers, I think this was at Juilliard, said, oh, well, black people sing the blues because they're broke and they're poor and they have, mm. you know, and they're sad. And that's that's why the blues is so prominent. And he was like, no, he's like. The blues is played all the time in my house. He's like, and my family's actually rich and not rich mm. for black people, like rich for people, people, white, black, mm. everyone. Um, and yeah, just like this, the the narrative of the black struggle, and da, 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 which is a part of our history. It is yeah. a part. It's not every part. It's not even most of the part, honestly. Um, and yeah, the and the 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 sort of aspirational thing that it gets conflated with white culture. You know, white people can dream big and black people can talk about sad stories. Well, the irony of that, right, is that like black American contribution to creative culture Mm -hmm. in this world is is unprecedented. Absolutely. Right? Like hip hop has absolutely changed the world. Yes. Jazz has absolutely changed the world forever. Forever. And these are, are, you know, crafts that are coming out of communities that are, are struggling, mm-hmm. right? Like the struggle is real. Yeah. Not to be super right. punny about sure, it. Sure. The struggle is always yeah. real. And um, the the pure spiritual ingenuity in responding to that struggle is really something else. You know, like I really try to remind folks that if you are a participant of hip hop culture in any capacity, you are a beneficiary of black mm-hmm. youth struggle. Yes. And yes. culture, yes, right? Like this is something that's coming out of a direct experience um, with struggle. And so um, while struggle is a huge part of how black creativity happens, mm-hmm. I think framing black imagination right. in struggle all the time mm-hmm. does us a disservice. Absolutely. Um, and, and it also doesn't make room for what we want. Right. Like it's not... To know what you don't want is not the same thing as knowing what you want. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what do we want, right? And so mm-hmm. I'm really inspired by Afrofuturism. Um, after my sister sister passed away, I started reading a lot of her books. Mm. And she had photographic memory. So she could read a novel in 20 minutes and wow. know everything yeah. in it. And she would go through them so quickly. 
And it wasn't until she passed when I was 18 that I really started reading Octavia mm-hmm. Butler. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, you yeah. know, my whole life, I was a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Yeah. Yeah. Tolkien yep. is like definitely yep. top most influential like white man of right. my childhood. Um, and just, just for the record, because I'm, I'm making a, a part in the interruption, uh, I'm, I'm also trying to consciously let people know what's on my mind. So um, I... Lord of the Rings in the world of sci-fi and fantasy I do sci-fi I don't do fantasy so Naomi will love everything that you're saying like I'm like yeah Lord of the Rings is cool but like when I think of Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit I think of like oh yeah I had to sit through all three Hobbit movies because I don't want to get divorced so context Mm -hmm. in this regard this is a good story Along with the now five CD and the L Cool J CD that my cousin bestowed mm-hmm. upon me, I moved to the States and Harry Potter was like all the rage in 2000, <laughs> right, right, right? right? Like okay. the Goblet of Fire yeah, had just come yeah. out. I'm like, what is this Harry yeah, Potter thing? Yeah. Like what's going on? And my brother who had just graduated from ECU came home and he was like, nah, man, nah, fuck that Harry Potter shit. There would be no Dumbledore if there wasn't no Gandalf. Whoa. And so he... <laughs> turned me into this mm-hmm. like little fantasy hipster where nice. I was like no nah, it's all about Lord of the Rings like awesome. Tolkien came yeah, first yeah. and so I was in fourth grade reading Lord of the Rings okay um, yeah all right no wonder you're so like far <laughs> advanced in your career because I mean you know yeah I mean I've I feel like you've accomplished a lot at a relatively young age and I don't want to sound like I you know I'm 40 so if you're not you know 39 you're a kid but like I mean I don't know you're way more mature and focused then because you're what 28 29? yeah i'm going on 28 okay yeah, all right appreciate that Thank yeah you. yeah so i'm so i'm like oh yeah i mean if i mean if you're reading lord of the rings in fourth grade i mean that's <laughs> like i i sort of like if if i saw a fourth grader reading lord of the rings i would i would be like this kid is going to do something super prominent. <laughs> like they're either going to be like, you know, a super like cyber hacker. That's just going to mm, like, you know, I wish. Sh- like shut down the entire like Mr. Robot. Style. Yeah. Like this is robot. Yeah. Mrs. Like, robot. I mean that, that, yeah, that, that's what it is. So I, that's very, I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, you know, it starts with the Hobbit, right? Right. That was the first book that my brother okay. gave me. Cause it starts with the Hobbit, this whole saga. Okay. The, all right, so like the stuff literally starts with the Hobbit. Yeah, you're li- literally, okay. that's how the ring is introduced. The, the main character that goes from the Hobbit into the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. is the ring itself. Okay, so All right. so that's how we get to know the ring and in, in the story. Gotcha. That's how it gets to the Hobbits. Nice. Um. Anyway, the the real title of the Hobbit is there and back again. And, okay. and a lot of folks don't know that. And, and I, th- I think it's kind of like how the Affordable Care Act became Obamacare. Sure, sure. Like the yeah. there and back again is about a hobbit. So it became the hobbit. Right. Um, but it's it's the ultimate classic hero's arc. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know, there's this character that's the anti-hero who like learns resilience and pushes himself yeah. and overcomes and helps people. And then is is back home. Yeah. Right back home where he started. Um, that. That was my first real dive into the hero's arc. Okay. Yeah. So a uh, couple questions. So so before this, when you're when you're living in and you gr- you grew up in Okinawa, like until you moved to the states, is that? Yeah, correct? I think we spent like a little bit of time in North Carolina, Jacksonville military base. Okay. Um, yeah. But I was like two. Gotcha. So gotcha. yeah, my formative years were in Okinawa okay. until I was like eight or nine. All right. So when when you were in Okinawa, uh, I mean, like, and were you just like straight up like on a base only interacting with American kids? I mean, like, like what was your 
general social life like? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I went to school on the base, okay. which was this like military bases are weird, man. All the buildings look the same. They're concrete. It's just, right, like okay. very structured, weird and visual environment. Sure. Um, but because my family was off base, I spent most of my time hanging out with cousins, um, and hanging out with my mom's folks. So okay. yeah, I, I was really just kind of immersed in Okinawa while I was there. Okay. Although I did go to school and live on the base, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so the, and because of that, the, like the culture that you're absorbing, pop culture, political culture is, is mostly okinawan or, or japanese yeah okay yeah i think um you know the, the idea of blackness was mm-hmm. not something that i was really n- talked to about right like right. In, in this time period of my life i was american sure and um you know i, I think that it wasn't until when i moved back to the states gotcha. that i was really confronted with this mm-hmm. and my dad being older um i think that he it's just coming from a different generation. And so it was really my siblings who my older brother and sister who really had more conversations with Mm -hmm. me about blackness when I first moved back here Mm because they were much older than me. Um, and so, yeah, my, my identity, um, has fluctuated. My, my sense of self has Mm -hmm. fluctuated a lot. You know, Tatiana mentioned the like sensationalism of being American abroad and that was super real, but the, the black part was not, talked about uh but but it wasn't something that people couldn't see sure right and like that's what i was wondering right yeah i mean and so were there i'm sure there were but like how frequently was it just like kind of head turns of like what Mm. are you or like you know even (laughs) kids innocently asking like yeah you know, like, what are you? You look different. You're darker, but like... Well, growing up, um, when I was really little, I really did not present as black at okay. all. I think I my my folks joke about my black DNA being on CP time. Um, <laughs> That's funny. You That's know, it funny. wasn't until I really hit puberty that my hair got really curly. Interesting. Okay. That my complexion got kind of darker. Really? Yeah. Huh. Some of those like more black phenotype yeah. um, characteristics uh-huh. didn't super show up in my yeah. presentation until I was much older. Okay. So my dad would get jokes about like, nigga, what you doing with that Japanese? Right, baby? right. You know gotcha. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I presented as mixed race to my Japanese family. Um, but, you know, blackness was not as present in my face when gotcha. people looked at me. Gotcha, gotcha. It was in my father. And my parents' marriage was very controversial mm-hmm. on my mother's side. You know, like half her family didn't come to the wedding. There are still members of the family that we have tumultuous relationships with. Um, and the fact that he was black, along with being an American military man, it, it was an added reason that the family didn't support the marriage. And so um, it, it's not invisible. Right. Um, but Japanese co- culture is also very non-confrontational. And so okay. yeah. um, okay. in my adult years, right, like I've had to revisit this with my family and say, hey, just because you've learned how to love dad doesn't mean that you've actually learned how to love black people. Right. So in my adulthood, having so many black people in my life that I love and want to bring with me mm-hmm. to my home, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, shit, we got work to do because yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't mm-hmm. know, we mm-hmm. got work to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's been an interesting cycle of like being a product of this marriage and my parents really having to struggle to be together and justify and legitimize their yeah. relationship. Um, a lot of the questioning also came from, can you raise a mixed race child right. who is whole, who feels whole? 
And I give my parents so much credit and, and feel so much gratitude for that because I think there are so many mixed race international people who don't get to live in both places, mm -hmm. don't get to speak both languages, don't get to be loved by both families. And, and my parents made that possible for me. And so I think creatively my work will always revolve around that experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, the question of what are you, right? Mm -hmm. Like I get often mistaken for Hispanic, mm -hmm. uh, Latinx. Mm -hmm. um, I've gotten, you know, every everything <laughs> in the book. Yeah. Um, so questions about how I present, what is, how is that connected to my actual identity? Right. Um, why is this the dominant way that people decide how to treat me, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. all of that is infused mm -hmm. into my craft mm -hmm. as a way of trying to understand myself and understand the world and yeah. the way it responds to me. Yeah. Um, and I, it just so happens that some of the tools that I create with my art help other people ask themselves those same questions. Right. And um, it's also helped me connect with mixed race folks who maybe didn't have the same um you know, like experience yeah. of being able to be a part of both things. So I also feel um, really called to like encourage folks to connect with their cultures, mm -hmm. even if there isn't an immediate family member there to help you with that. Mm -hmm. It's yours, mm -hmm. you know, go explore it and don't wait for somebody else to validate you. you yeah. Know? Yeah. You said a lot of things that I, I loved. <laughs> One of the things that I loved I've thought about it in my brain, haven't necessarily articulated it, is, yeah, this sense of um, whatever answer I, you know, I might give you as to, like, who am I, what am I, what's my background, is going to affect how you treat me. Because mm -hmm. I, cause I, one of the things where I always like to let people know that, one, I'm just curious about people's background. I'm very curious about people's how people self-identify and how their culture intersects with who they are as you know just as their individual self and like how they move forth in the world partially just because I've had a lot of those questions myself and so mm -hmm. especially as I as I encounter friends who have had challenges of like it's not a straight line for them like I, you know I'm part of the blue shirt people and the blue shirt people all do this thing therefore I do this thing right. so I'm just super curious as to like okay like well how does it work for you um and I've always been a little uneasy in going into that space because having encountered this thing of like, okay, well, depending on the answer I give you, you're going to start treating me differently. Right. You know, I mean, and it's very much the, as so many of us have encountered, it's the like, oh, well, you know, I didn't know you went to that school. Okay. Mm. Cause it's like, well, you're not really black anymore because you went to private school or you're right. not really black because black is bad. Your dad worked in corporate finance. So you're okay. And, and I don't even mind. So like, for instance, like when, when people start talking to me about my music or a lot of, um, uh, you know, political stances or just like the way that I see the world, there's a lot of surprise of like, okay, uh, black dude listens to this thing and and votes this way. <laughs> and like, that's fine because it's like, okay, I get it because most most black dudes that you encounter probably that like live in, live in East Germantown aren't going to be listening to They Might Be Giants or Frank Zappa mm. like all the time. There's way more than you realize, but statistically not that many. So the the like surprise at it is completely fine because I do the same thing. I'm like, oh, you you know this band? Like, I didn't I didn't expect that. I think that's human nature, so yeah. I'm cool with it. But it's the like, 
oh, okay, well, I don't feel uncomfortable like having you sit next to my sister now because you're not one of those dirty rap dudes who's going right. to like try to do some whatever to her. Like that's yeah. that's the shit. I'm like, fuck off with you that. You know, and I think another area where we really connected as we got to know each other was this like DC suburban, mm-hmm. like yep. black kid experience. Yes. And I like to tell people that like, you know, I grew up in in like this this like illusion of diversity mm-hmm. right like yeah. just because you have a lot of representation doesn't mean that all of those representations are being valued or honored in the same yep. way and so although it was quote-unquote diverse um there was a lot of pressure to assimilate mm-hmm. still into the quote-unquote normalcy yep. of whiteness yep. and so you know there was like weird outrageous racist shit happening despite being this like quote unquote liberal yeah. right community where in my high school my senior year of high school right the guys and the, the popular guys in the grade made a list of hot girls mm. in the grade and then they made a list of hot for not white mm. <laughs> this yeah. is in the 2000s yeah yeah you know what i'm saying like this is the shit that's happening in the suburbs in these places that are claiming to be liberal and right. diverse and it's like are we actually talking about what it means to hold space responsibly for diversity right um are we doing this in the name of what you know mm-hmm. um and so that was also very confusing growing up yeah. and um was really challenging because I, I didn't have other uh, a whole lot of other mixed race black yeah. and asian people in my life um and so you know that element of like how do i treat you gets complicated when your presentation is complicated yeah, as yeah, well yeah and what comes with that is also especially you know when we start to gender this experience mm-hmm. i'm sure that you can relate in terms of what that means for you as like a, a man but for me, um, I was never black enough. I was never Japanese enough. But there is like an element of fetishization and sexualization Absolutely. that happens Absolutely. for being mixed race, Absolutely. sometimes too young, right? Yep. Yep. And and that becomes a dominant narrative mm-hmm. of, you know, like how people see you. So navigating that is complicated, yeah. right? And And I think that, you know, as a mixed race person who doesn't always present as black, I, I really give so much credit to the beautiful black women around me who have nurtured me Mm -hmm. and who have also helped me understand the privileges that I hold Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. alongside the struggles, right? Like they're not mutually exclusive and being, being able to make room for more than one truth is Mm. really Mm -hmm. important. Yeah. And so as I navigate my struggle, right, I also navigate uh, the benefits that come mm, with, mm-hmm. or at least the protections. Yeah. I think that's a better word. Yeah. The ways that I'm protected from anti-blackness. Right. Wow. Okay. Right? Yeah. Like, I like that. I like let's that. Let's address that. Yeah. Um, and so what, what does that mean for my role in this movement? Uh, what does that mean for my role with this community is, is a question that um, I ask myself often as much as I can yeah. in every moment of engagement. I ask myself that question and um, I really love having these kinds of conversations because I think we help each other. Most definitely. Gauge that yeah. from moment to moment, you know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's the, a lot of this is a big part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast partially is just because, you know, the subject matter is fascinating. Like I mentioned, hearing people's life story, like really, understanding the process of like okay so how how did you become this current manifestation mm-hmm. that use exi- that's existing in the world and where could it possibly go so that's super intriguing and then a lot of it is in every interview that I've had I'm I really feel like I'm in this master class of like just 
I feel like hearing people's experiences and their thought process and the the way that people even frame things, it's like, oh, awesome. Like, because mm. I, I would say that there's probably been like seven things that you've said where I'm like, oh, that is a great articulation of this thing that I've been feeling in my soul, but I, I don't have the language for Ooh. it. And now that I have the language for it, it actually, it's very empowering because I know what it means and I, I know how to, how to um, properly utilize it. Yeah. And if you don't mind, if I steer yeah. this conversation direction real quick on the topic of language, mm-hmm. I grew up bilingual. And so language has always been something that like, Ugh, has like frustrated yeah. me but has also been another channel of like becoming getting deeper with things um i've always had to translate for my family oh, for my yeah, parents yeah, yeah. um and and being able to express a feeling in more than one language is is very complex and mm. so uh folks ask me like you know what language do you think mm-hmm. in and i tell people like i don't mm. <laughs> more often than not um i when I'm inside of my head, I really have to exist in this place that's like sans language. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just this crazy hodgepodge, mm. you know, like mix up of of sounds mm-hmm. that um, are not always so elegantly tied together. And so language is, is a big inspiration for me, too, um, because of the nuanced ways that language can hold things in different ways. And so. Um, they say that if you speak more than language, you have more than one soul. Mm. And my partner tells me that I, I do look and sound different when I speak Japanese. Mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I find that to be so interesting, yeah. you know, because we carry the cultural nuances of that language yeah. as we speak it. Um, and yet my Japanese doesn't sound like anybody else's Japanese right. because I'm, I am this person and my English doesn't sound like anybody right. else's English right. because I am this person. And so, um, Diving into language as as a craft yeah, is yeah. something that really excites me. Um, my mother is a master of Japanese calligraphy. Mm, mm-hmm. It takes decades to earn this like official status. And I was lucky enough to grow up learning with her, with from her. Yeah. And so that's a big part of my, my art is Jap- traditional Japanese calligraphy. Um, but because I, I spent the second half of my childhood away from Japan, literacy is really challenging, right? And like, I did go to Japanese school on Saturdays, but learning the kanji, the characters, okay. is yeah. incredibly hard when you're not exposed to it on a daily basis. Right. And so I always struggled with that. And I spent some time in Japan after undergrad to clean up my Japanese skills so that I could use it in a professional setting. And that really boosted my confidence. But it also gave me a chance to kind of like revisit how I learned the language because I was in a really accelerated course and I had to learn a lot really quickly. And I just felt like memorizing these lines and sounds were not working for me. And so a whole new art kind of came out of this where I was like, oh, shit, these are hieroglyphics. These are pictographs. This looks like a person. It means person. This looks like a tree and it Mm, means mm -hmm, tree. mm -hmm. So why don't I actually break down what this symbol means based on the components that create this meaning? You know, so the radical for person next to the radical for tree is rest. Mm. This person leaning on a tree, Mm, mm -hmm. right? Like shit like that. That was like the key for me. I was like, oh, now I can retain this language in a way that I couldn't before. And so um, that's been a really exciting way of, of... of getting deeper understandings, even messages that are there for us in the language yeah. that we take for granted, yeah. you know? 
Yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's super super interesting um, because for me as someone who really yeah, I mean, I I only speak English. <laughs> I took Spanish in high school, but it was one of those like I'm gonna do whatever it takes to not fail. So I remember like three things. <laughs> And I had a Klingon dictionary in ninth nice. grade. Yeah, because I was a huge uh, Star Trek, primarily Star Trek Next Generation. We should fan. talk about LeVar Burton. We we're gonna we're gonna talk <laughs> a lot about LeVar Burton. We're we're gonna go deep into the world of sci-fi and fantasy. I'm gonna try to steer you away from you know fantasy. No no horses. Oh, I'm no. a big sci-fi fan as well. Okay. So I can go there. All right. Do you hate Monty Python? No, I don't okay. hate Monty Python. All right, I'm I'm trying I'm trying to find out the similarities <laughs> between you and Naomi because she can't stand Monty Python, but it's more mm. the people that she knew in college that were really into Monty Python. So like I'm Star Wars different. is my shit too. Okay, yeah, Star Wars is definitely my shit. How do you feel about the the like the sequels that you know like mm. you know we're we're in the the <laughs> final installment the the rise of Palpatine or whatever is coming out. So How do you feel I, about those? I am curious about the rise of Palpatine mm-hmm. because because that is a that is an origin story I'm invested sure, in. Sure, sure. Um, the recent Disney, like, I don't, are they, like, they're, they're not prequels or sequels. I don't know. The new Disney ones, I really have not been able to keep up with the, the most recent movie installments. Okay. Um, so are you, so the are you. The ones without the Jedis. What, what, what are you doing without oh, a Jedi? Okay. All right. No, I feel you. All right. So, so are you, are you talking like, like the standalones, like Solo and Rogue One? Or are you yeah. talking about like, so, cause there's. Rogue One, there's Solo, there's the Mandalorian TV show, which I guess is on Disney, Apple Plus. I, I can't keep track of the I'll put it this way. streaming services anymore. What I'm most invested in in Star Wars mm-hmm. is the narrative of Anakin Skywalker. Gotcha. gotcha. Because Star Wars to me is, is about Anakin. Okay. It's about how he became Darth Vader mm-hmm. and how he came back to being Anakin again mm-hmm. there and back mm-hmm. again right sure, sure, like sure. it's a different arc but it's a, an arc nonetheless right and it's, so, it's kind of similar to the ring right or the hob when you were talking about the, the hobbit yeah. yeah I mean yeah because I, mean, I kind of don't know another. anything that happens in the hobbit and I watched the three <laughs> movies and I was confused oh, trash. It's fine. Don't, um, don't worry about it <laughs> quick, quick quick question because I'm just I'm curious yes. and I'm I'm not asking this like you're a woman so talk about women um <laughs> Uh, so how did apparently so like there's no lady elves in the Hobbit book and then Evangeline Lilly was in the movie and people were like, what is she doing? She wasn't in the book. Get her out of there. So Arwen is in the story. OK, uh, but but they definitely, I think, exacerbated Aragorn and Arwen's love story okay. for a cinematic uh, buy in gotcha. for the audience. Okay. And so um, I'll just leave it there. All right. <laughs> Did, did they have a love story in the movie? I don't really remember yeah, anything. From well, the... yeah, they had a love. St- so the, who, the story and, is that who's who's the other person you were talking about? Aragorn is the king of men, okay. but he in the story um, is like off grid. Like he gotcha. doesn't want that responsibility. Okay. And there's a whole story about why he has run from his his inherited mm-hmm. you know role as king. Arwen is an elf. Elves are immortal. Okay, they live forever, and so. Um, Tolkien has kind of crafted this like archetypal romantic narrative in his world of the immortal woman and the mortal man. Okay. And so that that's like um, something that comes from Tolkien's very romantic sort of personality. Mm-hmm. He's a very romantic guy. Gotcha. And I think they just kind of blew that up in the movie gotcha. to add some romance. Cause, okay. Because otherwise it is very like... 
orcs fighting. And, right, you know, right, it's like right. Very, like, okay. You know, yeah. What, what's also awesome about this, and I feel like this might uh, prove the previous uh, point you were making about language, is that since I have no context for any of these characters, like, I'm kind of trying to follow along because, like, you know, one, I'm just trying to be a good listener. And, I appreciate and, that. And I'm like, and, and just in my head, I'm like, I'm like, uh, okay, I'm trying to just like think of like who they are in the movie because I'm like, all right, well, I know who Evangeline Lilly is mainly because I'm like, oh, that's the person from Lost, and yes. now, now she has pointy ears. And then, <laughs> oh, you were talking yeah. about, oh, I see, I got mixed up with uh, Liv Tyler. Okay, my bad. Gotcha. So that's a whole different thing, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. my I was, bad. Because I'm, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, did because uh, I'm like, well, I thought Evangeline Lilly. I don't. I'm like, she had a love interest. I was so super yeah, confused. no, no, no. So I was referring to the Lord of the Rings films, gotcha. not the Hobbit films. Gotcha. My mistake. I got my white ladies mixed up. No, it happens. You're you're, you're <laughs> not bad. the first person. <laughs> uh, but on the topic of language, though, so Tolkien like created languages. Okay. He actually wrote the Elvish language. Oh, that's cool. And this was, you know, like a passion of his. And so I always thought that that was wild. Yeah. Because in in a, in the midst of feeling like there aren't words to articulate these things that we feel, he's managed to like create mm-hmm. a whole world yeah, and yeah. language um, on all on his own. So that was always like really, I mean, even a written writing system, yeah. right? Like very elaborate, crazy stuff. I love it. I love <laughs> it. All right, I I got to reconcile this in my brain. All right, so who? What's Liv Tyler's character's name? She, she's Arwen a- Aragon. Who? So Liv Tyler's mm-hmm. character in Lord of the Rings yes. is Arwen. Arwen. So yes. Arwen in the book had a love story with someone, but like they made it bigger for the movie. Yes. And who did she have a love story with? Uh, Aragorn. Uh, I mean the, the actor. King of Men. Oh, Vigo Mortensen. Okay. V- all right. V- all yes. right. Okay. Her and Vigo. But but then the Evangeline Lily character was like not in the Hobbit books is at that all. Right? Okay. She, so she, first of all, how are you going to make a three hour movie for a seven hundred page book for each book? Right. Yeah. And then make three three hour movies for a three hundred page book. Right. Yeah. I know I'm sp- spitting math right yeah. now, but they are they milked the shit out of the Hobbit, they did. and I don't support that. So yeah. I don't I don't and even that, know. And that's what everyone told me because because everyone's like it's not that they're like it's a, not no. that big a story. I have like, no it's idea kind of how they stretch this into a nine hour saga. It's three. It's not the book is yeah, not that it's, long. It's not that long. <laughs> There's like this cute animated you know movie version of the Hobbit. Yeah, that's I did know about that. That's, yeah. Just watch that. Right. Yeah, that's that that's the more accurate telling. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um uh is there any part of you that feels weird? Weird in air quotes. So Tolkien grew up in South Africa and you know, it's a movie about or it's their books about white or default white characters mm-hmm. like you know having dominion over this like right. and you know, uh he he's created this wonderful white elf fairy tale. Is there any part of you that feels like when you're like reading it, like, oh, this is super kind of weird and crazy and fucked up? Oh, absolutely. Okay, I mean, yeah. I, we could say the same about Game of Thrones. You feel yeah, yeah, me? Yeah. Like, yeah. where are the black people right. that are just here? Because yeah. is, is this not you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's really mind blowing that in this world of fantasy yeah. where you've got magical rings and stuff, like you can't picture melanated people. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, in retrospect, it's super fucked up. Yeah. But growing up, um, it didn't occur to yeah. me be- because yet again, you know, like I wasn't exposed to black imagination right, right. at all in my youth. And so um, this really was just the dominant thing that 
that kind of titillated my mind, mm-hmm. mostly because I, I was always an inquisitive kid, a drawn to, you know, aliens and conspiracy mm-hmm. theories and ancient wisdom because the, the truth and the realities that were handed to me always felt like bullshit. Yeah. Right. And so like fantasy sense. and sci-fi felt more realistic mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. in, in, in the mysteries that I felt internally. Right. So like. Lord of the Rings felt more real. It felt like history in some capacity or another. Um, And it wasn't until I got older that I was like, oh, shit, this is what? Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. It it comes with all this extra stuff. And and I also think the other thing is, is that, I mean, the the stories are good because mm-hmm. I mean they resonate. I mean, they're, they're, you know, there's a reason why in the case of The Hobbit they can take you know a, a 300 page book and make a right. six billion hours of unnecessary film about it because they know people are going like all my friends went and saw it, yep. my brother. So I um, mean, yeah, it resonates. It, it, it does, and and it's it's inspired by ancient mythology Mm -hmm. you know like Tolkien was inspired by ancient mythology and so I think this really also boils down to like which ancient mythologies are being upheld in in modern conceptions and imaginations you know and so I'm going to just keep referring to Octavia Butler Mm -hmm. because that really was the most influential and still is the most influential black sci-fi fantasy writer um, in my life you know Um, another white author who who's been really impactful in that regard is, is Anne Rice. Mm, mm-hmm. um, that was another author that my sister was passionately, yeah. passionately yeah. Um, reading. And so the first book I read after she passed was The Witching Hour, mm. which is like a thousand pages. It, it, is that, um, that's by Anne Rice? Yeah. Okay, because I've, I've heard the title referenced again and again and again. I just, yeah. I, you know, I'm one of those people who literally only knows interview with a vampire like that's all I know of Anne Rice because I don't know anything about yeah. her books. So. Anne Rice's writing is really heavy it's really intense and a lot of it is inspired by um, the mysticism of New Orleans mm-hmm. right and so The Witching Hour is a really long book um, that goes into like maybe 10 generations of a single family history and she manages to weave um, you know Scottish like pagan ritual mm-hmm. history mm-hmm. Yeah. in with hoodoo yeah. In in the Caribbean islands and the ways that people moved from the Caribbean into New Orleans and, and carried yeah. those traditions yeah. with them. So it's a really interesting, like very long story about a family uh, that has a spiritual connection with you yeah. know, these mysteries and stuff. Um, but yeah. Another white author that that really was influential in that regard um, and, and also complicated my yeah. imagination yet again. You know? And how much, at least with. Anne Rice and um, this kind of uh, anthropological deep dive that informs the present day world that she's creating. How much of that do you think is just connected with you and your personal family exploration? Because I feel like there's a link. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, our folks are are really blessed to know that like we can trace our roots back to St. Thomas Mm -hmm. in the Caribbean back to the 1700s, you know, like I know the name of my first French ancestor who Mm. moved to the Virgin Mm -hmm. islands and had children with, um, an enslaved woman named Angelina Daniels, Mm. you know? Um, and so to see the name Galabert on, on gravestones from the 1700s in an old Dutch cemetery is really, it's like exhilarating. Yeah. 
Um, the antiquity is, is really, is really real. Um, but you know, I think that through my family, there really hasn't been a whole lot of mystique mysticism, sort of like spiritual questioning. Like I, I am the one who's kind of reintroducing mm-hmm, some of these greater mm-hmm. questions yeah. to my family in DC. Cause I think, you know, as I mentioned with, with things like Howard university, yeah. you got Jack and Jill, mm-hmm. like that's a whole culture, yeah. um, of elitism within the black community yes. as well. Yeah. And I think that um, things like integration kind of um, merged cultures Mm -hmm. in a way that erased a lot of the traditional black practices, right? Like I also... Uh, Yeah, a lot of our culture, like it it wasn't an even-handed two-way integration. It was like us for the most part assimilating into the larger construct and absorbing a lot of those structures and a lot of those belief systems about ourselves. Clearly we've seen what it's done economically. And I think also that um, it also like we, we adopted like the white lens or the white gaze where, you know, and, and I think that we don't necessarily understand the idea of to a certain degree, at least I'm in a privileged enough position to say that like, I, I am not concerned with someone else's perception of me, specifically white folk that do not mean well for me or that mm-hmm. mean to actively do me harm. As long as their perception doesn't translate into action against me, think whatever you want about me. Mm-hmm. I know who I am and I know who we are. So I don't fucking care what you think and say whatever you want. And be honest about it because I like to know who I'm dealing with. Right. So if you're a shitty person, I like you to advertise it so I can stay the fuck away from you and keep my kids But what away sucks about that, right, is when folks hold those perceptions and they also hold power. Yeah. Then it becomes yeah. a barrier. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think that they're, I, I'm lucky enough to have learned a lot of this stuff, again, from like the amazing black women that are within my, you know, like farming, mm-hmm. earth, land centered community that, yo, like black people have been healing themselves and each other through the land through root work through magic Mm -hmm. for generations and and that became a i'm going to go to medical school because i can now Mm -hmm. to heal people Mm -hmm. right and so the integration also totally changed um the litmus test of legitimacy Mm -hmm. in these professions Mm -hmm. um and so trying to reconnect with uplifting and legitimizing our ancestral knowledge is is something that is is a a really active form of decolonizing, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And and I also think that a lot of a lot of what's really necessary is understanding what really is relevant for us as individuals and and not doing the like, well, I'm gonna go to medical like if if that's how you like truly feel like you can really right. do it, then you should do it. Right. If if doing the land work or doing uh, non-traditional medicine or like building cars, like mm-hmm. like do do you? But I feel like so many of us have gotten into the like, oh well, like you know this is this job is how socially conscious people do this thing. It's like, no, that's yeah. how that socially conscious person does it. And a lot of those people aren't even socially conscious. Like, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people who do nonprofit work and woke is cool. And it's like, you, you act, you don't mean any of that, which is fine. Just like drink beer. All, like if your contribution is getting drunk in your living room <laughs> and like leaving people alone, 
you should drink beer in your living room and leave people alone. Yeah, but I, I'm, the theme of what I'm hearing from you is is relational, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is your relationship to the people around yeah. you? Yeah. How are you helping or harming people? Mm-hmm. Yes. And are you aware of that? Are you conscious yeah. of that? And is is that intentional? I think is is really what you're getting at there. You know, like, can I heal people beca- by becoming a doctor? Right. Yes. Okay. Cool. Like, stick with that intention and, and do it that way. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, these other litmus test legitimacy sort of like markers um, are dominated by narratives that don't give a shit about people Absolutely. like us. Absolutely. And so revisiting and questioning the, those markers, yeah. I think it is really the work that has to be done. That yeah. doesn't mean don't go to medical school. Right. It means question everything you learn yeah. in medical school yeah. and then reapply that knowledge in a way that makes sense for your people and mm-hmm. for yourself. Yeah. You know? So good. <laughs> I've seen. I've. I'm love. I'm loving all of this. I'm loving all of this. I want to do. I want to do some deeper dives into. Yeah, like the your your. Uh, you know, American culture 101, pop culture absorption, and <laughs> you know, see uh, see how th- this all comes together. All right. So, um, so 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 you were saying when when you when you moved to the states, it was LL Cool J. Yeah. Where were, where were the other pieces? Now Five. So okay. there were some tracks on Now Five that like Maya, Case of the X, mm-hmm. you know, there's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. super hot tracks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so then, uh, when when did the the Tolkien was was your uh, Tolkien and Harry Potter absorption around the same time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, w- some so something that I am I am curious about is. Particularly, because I, I don't really know about uh, LL Cool J. I don't really know how he's connected to the land. I don't know, like maybe he's super connected to Queens. I've never met the guy, so I don't. Know. <laughs> but I, but I, so I feel like, so it completely makes sense that the Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings, and Anne Rice's work, like that, that all seems to completely that that makes sense for mm-hmm. like for the person that I know now. Because yeah, I mean, because that, that that just seems very like. Uh, like a collective working to like uncover who they are. Mm. Does that make sense what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Absolutely. Um, and it seemed that also definitely seems to like connect with Octavia Butler to the mm-hmm. degree that I know her stuff. Cause I'll be honest, I don't really know a lot of her stuff, which I'm also very upset about because I, I didn't, I had never even heard the phrase Afrofuturism until like 2013, maybe. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about Octavia Butler. And what's crazy is that, so Octavia Butler grew up, or a lot of her formative years was spent one town over from where I grew up in California. She lived in Pasadena, California. I lived in Altadena. I went to school in Pasadena. So the fact that I didn't like even know that she existed, I'm like, this is a fucking travesty. Mm. Um, Particularly because Octavia Butler is, um, she seems to encapsulate like a lot of what, my oldest brother was going for so my oldest brother uh the one whose picture you saw upstairs he's an aerospace engineer he was like the first person i knew knew that was into doctor who he was he loved he read tolkien like all throughout elementary school he was also in the national society of black engineers so so like a lot of the black just like scientific achievements that i learned about i learned about through him like you know he was sending this stuff to me also he's nine years older than me so it's a lot of like i'm gonna teach my little brother Mm -hmm. but um 
like the first time that I learned who Mae Jemison was. It was, I was watching an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation with him. She was a guest star and he goes, oh, that's Mae Jemison. I'm like, I, well, I don't, who are you talking about? He's like, oh, she was the first black woman in space. Yeah. And at the time I'm, I'm sort of like, well, stop trying to teach me history. Like I'm just trying to watch, you know, Star Trek. But like. The it, irony of that, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, but like he, my brother was really one of the people who really like awakened my black consciousness shout out to big brothers awakening consciousness. yeah, yeah. And, and and what was also great about it was that he did it in a way that was very authentically him that i couldn't appreciate at the time mm. because you know he was he was the person who could you know be really like trying to help me learn about may jemison and katherine johnson and the other women from hidden figures i'm hoping i'm getting um yeah, that particular woman's name, correct. But like, you know, people mm-hmm. in that realm, well, he's also listening to Van Halen. Mm. And at the time, I didn't really like appreciate it, but I feel like Octavia Butler is really like the encapsulate. Like if all of that to say that if we had known about Octavia Butler when we were growing up as little kids, like th- there are probably 3,000 choices in our lives that we would probably would not have made like it just it, it was it would have been such an affirmation for who we were well you know I, I think what's really interesting about black people in science and sci-fi and thinking about the future um Octavia I think does a really beautiful job of of capturing the experiences that are inevitably a part of the black experience mm-hmm. yes and then translating that into tools for survival yeah because it's always in this like survivalist frame as well yeah and so it's empowering to to see a character actually take like some of the fucked up stuff they went through to then be able to use that right to survive yet again right in circumstances that other folks might not be able to navigate because of their lack of experience with that direct confrontation um and so the power of being able to a picture black people in Mm -hmm. the future at all is really important and that's why i shouted out lavar burton earlier because shout out to black people in sci-fi period Mm -hmm. right um but he also has a podcast that means a lot to me uh, called LeVar Burton Reads mm. where it's for the reading rainbow generation that yeah, grew yeah. up, right? Like we still want to be told stories, LeVar. Right. So he picks out um, some really beautiful short stories and reads them on the podcast and interviews the authors. And he introduced me to a lovely author named Leslie Neka Arima, who's also very Octavia inspired. Mm, okay. And she um, is is adding a whole new layer awesome. of Afrofuturism yeah. in, in taking into account things like climate change. Yeah, yeah. And I'll just shout out this one story in particular called What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky. Mm. That just shook me, mm-hmm, y'all. Mm-hmm. It's it's post-climate crisis. White folks are yeah. illegal immigrants in Africa mm. because the northern yeah, hemisphere yeah. is jacked up. Ooh. It's like it's a really powerful short story. And um, that story inspired me to buy her book of short stories. Mm. And so... Um, yeah, Lavar, man, that that's like a real that's a real father figure. That's cool. So so I'm so glad that you mentioned this because I was I was thinking about this today. Um, for many years, I have been frustrated at the lack of diversity in the stories about Black people, and and what I mean by that is I'm I'm really really like over. So many of our movies, uh, I'm sure what I'm going to say is not a surprise, but like I'm tired of like the same civil rights movies over and over and over again. And I personally 
I do not want any black person over the age of 35 to see a another variation on a Martin Luther King story. And like, and this is not, nothing against like, you know, Ava DuVernay. No, I or, feel you though. But, but like, I'm, I'm sort of tired of like, well, it's not about MLK and it's not about Andrew Young or Ralph David Abernathy. It's about like the person who did their finances. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's in the same ballpark. <laughs> like, so I, I don't, yeah. I, I don't have time for that. Um, and I'm also tired. I'm, I'm tired of our stories where black culture is synonymous with all the shitty things that have happened to right. us. Right. And so my thing, it's just like, so, but I'm also not a belief, you know, there, people should make the stories that resonate for them. Um, maybe I'm just in a privileged position where like a lot of my life isn't like the, the boot of the, of the white oppression on my neck, but like I, I've had crazy fucked up shit happen yeah. to me. And I think I'm also equipped to respond and, and to, and to do intentional work to combat those things partially because I, I do not view my life as a response to racism. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't want to go through that space. But the the I, there's a point to all of my ranting. If, <laughs> if you listen to enough of these podcasts, you'll you'll notice that it takes me 30 minutes to make one simple point. <laughs> there well, and I, back again. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I love it. You're tying it all together. But one something something that I would love to do is I would love to see someone tackle these issues, but in a aesthetically challenging um, way that we haven't necessarily seen before. So with you talking about Octavia Butler's work where it's really like dealing with like, you know, the the commonalities and the realities that all black people, all African people are going to encounter at some point, but, but doing it in this, um, and, but showing the like the, the, the reaction and the work against it and the super expansive, like futuristic in multiple ways. It's like, that's what I would love to see. So there's, there's a movie which I will admit I haven't seen, so don't yell at me if I botch this up, but I've been reading a lot about and I'm going to rent. So there's a movie uh, uh, starring Robert Redford called Three Days of the Condor. And a lot of it apparently, like the idea of it was really influential in the second Captain America movie, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. But essentially it is about this guy who works for the CIA and his job is he works at this bookstore that's a front for it. It's a CIA like listening station and they just they read novels all day to see if there are like hidden communist or anti-American messages embedded mm. in novels. So I'm like, oh, well, that that's just a super interesting that story. Like my life. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> so it's super, super, super fucking interesting. Looking for all the messages. Yeah, looking for all these hidden messages. Yeah. And so apparently the, the the crux of the movie is he goes out to get lunch, he comes back and everyone in, in his in uh in the bookstore has just been murdered and he's trying to figure out like what the fuck happens. And so he keeps meeting all of these people who are like, "Oh no, like those people were really, you know, Russian agents." And then he meets someone else who's like, "No, that guy who told you that they were Russian agents, he's really like, you know, working for Gaddafi or, mm. you know, the Ayatollah Khomeini." So he doesn't know what the fuck to believe. And his whole world is he's just like, mm. "What the fuck is going on?" So I would be more intrigued with like a black detective novel where it's something like that, where it's just sort of like, well, I don't know what the fuck to believe because the, that's been a lot of my experiences. Like, you know, my experiences really mm-hmm. haven't been the like, get the fuck out of my neighborhood, nigger. We're going to burn your house right. down. Like my experience has been like, Oh yeah. Like these people that like I've lived a life like 20 years with that I'm basing my, like how I respond to the world. Right. I like feel yeah. like they're like 
so much of their life and is like undermining my sovereignty. Right. And I'm just like, is this just the like the card that the black suburbanite in Northern Virginia is dealt? Or is this a part of like the big diabolical plan? Like, you know, is, you know, are, are those conspiracy theory minded friends of mine and family members of mine? Are they actually like really onto something way yes. more than I realize? Yes. And, and, to, <laughs> and to see that filtered through artwork yeah. with all of that, just like straight up confusion of like, I don't know what the fuck to believe. Or are those conspiracy theory people, you know, are are they somehow double, triple, quadruple agents that have either been set up or like... I say yes to all yeah. of the above. I think all of that is very real and very true. And I would love to see a story with a, a black mystery detective type scenario because, you know, I think that one of the... One of the moments that a lot of black folks can relate to is this like loss of innocence. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. And like realizing that all of these institutions are actively working against yeah. you. Um, some folks grow up with that understanding. Right. Other folks don't. Right. And so to realize that so much of what you've been fed is poisonous bullshit yeah. is devastating. Yes. And I think that this is, this is an experience that can only be known directly is this deep um, feeling of, of betrayal, mm -hmm. right? And in, in realizing, oh wow, this history is bullshit. That history is bullshit. This idea of health is bullshit. This idea of success is bullshit. All of the things that I have been taught um, are markers of mm -hmm. success and joy um, are not for me. Yeah, that is a really difficult thing to understand. Yes, and uh, I think even difficult to relate to, mm -hmm. right? And and so that gap in experience, I think, is one of our greatest challenges in um, coexisting with white folks yeah. and, and getting white folks to understand what it is that we go through. Do you understand what it means to realize that, like? all of these institutions are working against you. Yeah. No, you, you, don't, you can't you, you relate can't, to that. Right. And so um, what does it mean to take on that mystery for yourself? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. the institutions that exist yeah. are not going to support you right. finding out the no. truth about no. what no. the real motivations are, who really holds the power. And I think that, you know, the story that we're saying we wish we existed in this fictional sense, like it exists in real life. Yeah. Yo, we got lots of black people out here who are really trying to find out what's going on behind closed doors and conspiracy. I think the word conspiracy has been bastardized. Yes. And it makes me really upset because conspiracy means people with power behind closed doors right. are making decisions to their own benefit yes. in secrecy. Yes. It doesn't mean anything more than that. It doesn't mean And the yeah. reality is that if it's public record, it's not a conspiracy theory. Right. So we have a lot of evidence that's public mm -hmm. about dealings happening that have been revealed thereafter. Yes. And so I like to attribute things relationally all the time. If you're in relationship with someone and they lie to you about where they were last night, mm -hmm. would you not then question everything? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. This institution, these institutions have been lying to us mm -hmm. about all of these things. Mm -hmm. Why are we then not questioning right. everything? Right. That's fair. Yeah. Right. I think that's fair. I think skepticism is fair. Right. Um, what we do with that skepticism, sure. how far we go. Sure. Yeah. We can talk about those boundaries. Yeah. Right. But like to hold that skepticism is, is, is something that I think is is crucial to our survival in the environment that we're in right now. And. That's not the same thing as visioning what you want for yourself. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's something that organizing work has really taught me as well. And shout out to Katrina. She has been my organizing big sister and has really taught me a lot 
and is a real force in in this world, right? Um, but for every bit of of power that she brings to the table, she also is my sci-fi buddy. Mm-hmm. Right? Nice. Like she yeah, likes yeah, to yeah. dress up for like yeah. Comic-Con shit. Like her imagination runs wild. And I see how important both of those things are in the ways that she navigates with so much influence. Um, and it inspires me, right? To like never let go of, of this imagination space and the role that it plays in actually like taking our people out of struggle. Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. not enough to just yeah. not want to struggle. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, I've... Yes, 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 yes. All right. So I have I have a question on that, and you you I, I'm respectfully asking you to hold me accountable to make sure I only occupy like three minutes in because yeah you've seen what I can do. There's also one other influential white dude that I want to unpack mm-hmm. with you. So okay, okay, all right, all right. We're, we're gonna we're gonna do that. We'll definitely okay. do that. All right. So the space that I am at now is. So I don't I don't know who to believe and what to believe and where to put my energies because there are a lot of people who I completely like I don't doubt their sincerity. I like I'm I I understand why they think the way that they do, but all right, so uh, here's what I'm trying to say. Uh th- this is this is the uh the the Migos metaphor. <laughs> My wife and I get into a lot of these conversations and arguments, debates, because I think that she likes a lot of like real ratchet, like she she likes the bangers, you know, you know, there's there's a lot of Rick Ross that she listens to. Yeah, Yeah, you know. (laughs) And so for me, like I'm trying to exist in this intersection of I'm I'm I don't believe in policing people's thoughts or language, especially friends and especially black people, regardless of like. Anything that like I think like yo that's completely out of bounds. It's like I don't I don't I don't know what has gotten you to the point where you're saying this. And like I I want to understand the why behind what you're saying and work and and dive into that as opposed to like don't say that thing. Mm-hmm. And then there is also just certain things that, um, uh, information and just ways of being that I feel like when is disseminated on a super large level, I'm like I. I actually don't see the productivity that is going to come out of this. Mm. Um, and in the past, I used to be skeptical about saying that because the voice in my ear was, well, you grew up in white suburbia and you had a dad who was like, no, no turn off the rap music. Arr, it's bad. And so like you you do not understand the culture where this is coming from and, and you haven't walked in the shoes and lived the life, so you cannot judge. Now I'm at a point of like, I've been doing this work for a long time. I've I've been intentionally living and partnering and and yeah, living life in particular communities to like understand and unpack these things. Mm-hmm. I've been talking to a lot of elders and I've been seeing the effects that these things have and I feel like I can say with certain certainty that like if I had to put money on it, I think that this thing is destructive mm-hmm. and trash and like kind of knowing the backstory for some of these people, I'm like, y'all are fucking lying and just mm-hmm. making shit up. Um, and, but then like there are people who like legitimately like it and, and it, yeah. yeah, it's like this weird intersection of like, w- like when my wife listens to like hip hop that like says so much like really crazy fucked up things about women and she's a self-described hip hop feminist and, and she, and she wrestles with the contradictions, but like, yeah, you know, when she listens to like the Joe Budden podcast and I'm just mm. sort of like, how can any woman listen to this? But I'm like, is that my place to say? So I say all that to say that like 
it's all so complicated with me. Yeah. I don't know what fucking side is what. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's true for most of us, you okay. know? Like, we live in contradiction all, always. Um, and... Are you anywhere near as confused as I am? Because, like, contradiction, I totally get. <laughs> but at this point, I... Like, if... And I'm mildly exaggerating, but, like, if if someone told me... So, yeah, if someone told me that Gucci Mane was a CIA plant, I would be like, yes. Yeah, I, I don't think that it's wrong to, again, healthy skepticism, right. right? Like questioning motivations and intentions and like where things are coming from. Um, I, I think that's a fair assessment. Mm -hmm. And I think you, you're entitled to that perspective. Um, and I know that there are a lot of people who would agree with you yeah. about whether or not these things um, are are first of all, genuinely coming from black folks, right? Like we know that right. for one, like drugs were literally shipped into black neighborhoods by the government. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's not like black people yeah. destroyed their own community with like, you know, yeah. so there's like a lot of nuance yeah. there. Um, and so the, the tension for me is, you know, is this helping or is this hurting? It's right. like, it's definitely helping people too, right? Like yeah. people are like having um, a release when they listen to yeah. this music. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a cost benefit thing. I think from person to gotcha. person at the end of the day, how much is this helping or hurting? Right. Um, there's no way for us to know except what it means for ourselves, yeah. you know? And so if it hurts you to listen to you, right. to listen to it, then yikes, you know? And, and then I think where it gets complicated, you have a, a new son. Yeah. I think it gets complicated when you're a parent. Mm -hmm. I myself am not a parent. Right, right. But then, then your choices extend not just to yourself, but to your child, yeah. right? Like right now, your partner is going to do what she's going to do and yeah. is going to listen to what she wants, but you have a mutual investment in this child's future. Yeah. So then there's going to be tension about, you know, what is this child going to be exposed right. to? Um, that's a tension that I have yet to experience, but I, I know is a real one that a lot of parents go through. Um, it's confusing. It's definitely confusing. You know, I think that the same sentiments that you were expressing are, are things that people feel about Tyler Perry's influence mm -hmm. yeah. on, on black media mm -hmm. and black yeah. culture. Um, and then there's also, I think like layers of respectability politics that sure. also complicate the matter. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's nuanced for sure. Got Yeah. Yeah. Under, yes. Understatement of the millennium. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And I think the, um, yeah, then the, the, the last piece that I will say about I it. I like Migos yeah, just yeah. to be clear. Like, yeah, no, I, <laughs> well, we're not on the same page. I love stir fry. That is my jam. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I think my, my thing, I, I wish that more rappers would be honest about their, their background and their biography. So mm. the, the Migos went to high school at this like very like elite um, military boarding high school like mm. north of Atlanta. And so I particularly I get I'm super, super like if there's one thing that really uh, uh, grinds my gears. Shout out to Nick Ospa for uh, subconsciously planting Family Guy references in right. my brain. So I get very annoyed when. Like people who are from Northern Virginia or are mm. Prince George's County, Maryland, and like the outside the Beltway, Prince George's County, right. not like Suitland, right. who are like, I'm from Southeast DC. Mm, you're not. Oh yeah, no, that's definitely some bullshit. Yeah, and there and there is like a, a problem with authenticity. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that's true for 
all people oh, yeah, yeah. who reach that like Absolutely. most people who reach that level of fame and notoriety there's there's discrepancies in their authenticity for yeah. sure yeah i mean and john lennon did the same thing because john lennon has this song called working class hero <laughs> and yeah and it's all about like you know the struggle of the working man and the the other three Beatles, especially Ring, like Ringo grew up in the projects and mm-hmm. like Ringo Starr was in gangs. I mean, it was Liverpool, England gangs of the 1940s and 50s, which is a different thing from, you know, being at Crenshaw and Imperial mm-hmm. now. But but yeah, like John Lennon had relatives that like worked for the BBC and that worked mm-hmm. in the House of Commons. So he was he was middle class. Yeah. Now. He wasn't like prep school, like super rich, but, but yeah, you know, but it's, it's sort of like when people that I grew up with are like, my family struggled. It's like, yeah, your family struggled because your mom, who's an investment banker, got laid off and couldn't work for two years. That's a different struggle from like, my parents worked every day and we still had no yeah, so I say all that, say that like the authenticity thing, everyone well, does. But, but I think that you're not the only one who really feels that way. Yeah. And I think there is a black renaissance happening right now. Like right now, yeah. I feel that. And there's a reason that Hulu is just now releasing the Wu-Tang series mm-hmm. to really, really get into the nitty gritty of the origin story yeah. of what may very well be the most authentic hip hop collective yes. in history, Absolutely. right? Like this Absolutely. is like OG ass like yep. dudes who are really speaking truth to power from their direct experience. Um, and really change the culture forever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so um, I'm hoping that in the spirit of this black renaissance, there is um, some accountability for this authenticity thing and recognizing that like there are cultural titans who absolutely lived a life that is mm-hmm. true to their expression. Um, and I think that the more authentic, the more raw the art, yeah. you know? So um, who knows where things will go from here? Okay, but all right. I, I, I'm sensing right, like this, this call for authentic artists. I hope you're right. Yeah, we'll see. If if there's uh, if there's like a a really just f- good Migo song, song that I should listen to to <laughs> to figure out who who they are. What I mean, what song do you recommend? I personally like Stir Fry. Really is a jam. Like okay. I I always dance when that song is okay. playing. But I mean, we could really dig into this maybe another time about you know the visibility of black artists and authenticity, especially when you think about folks like Jay Z and Beyonce. Mm-hmm. It's like that's a whole slew of questions about authenticity and commitment to black community. Um, and black capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what does that mean mm-hmm. for black people? Mm-hmm. Um, whew, that's like, I feel you. That's I feel a you. deep. That's a deep one. That 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 may that may have to be a, a super deep one because <laughs> as as you and I have have talked about before, like you know, a, a little briefly, capitalism is a a phrase and a, a word that I embrace completely. Mm-hmm. Um, my definition of capitalism really is just a business that is owned by a person or a collective of people or a corporation privately owned for profit. Mm, I think that's just business, right? Cause like ism is to me is like a philosophy and it's a way of thinking like when something has sure. an ism, right? Yeah. Like it, it's, it's a way, it's a perspective. And yeah. so when I break down the word capitalism, mm-hmm. it, to me, it, it's centering capital and all things revolve around capital. Sure. That that's what capitalism is defined in my mind. As. I got gotcha. you. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Right. And, um, and so what you're describing isn't capitalism to me. I think it's just business, but it, I, it's economy. Sure. Sure. Because even in that business, right? Like you're not going to prioritize money over the well being of your people. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So no. to me, that's not capitalism. Right. 
and and to me and and I'm also someone who like also believes in just like the Webster's definition of things. I mean, like, and that, like that, that is the Webster's definition of it's like a person or a corporation that owns a business and, you know, does goods and services for profit. Yeah. Like um, if we called it communityism instead of communism, I think people would feel we react very differently to right. it. You know what and I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Yeah. Because, because I also think that there are things, there are things that people call communism that, it's like, well, no, like that's just being like civically minded, you know, and I and I feel like because, you know, because we, we had this conversation about how, you know, you you were not a believer in socialism. If we're going by socialism of the definition of like, you know, the the like a governing body, like literally owns the means of production and like sets the prices and right. you know which because it's funny because a lot of people who talk about like I'm a socialist like when you hear them I'm like well I don't think that you're a socialist going by all of these definitions that like seven like okay are there variations on definitions sure but of all the definitions I've read what you're describing doesn't sound like any of those things what you're describing just sounds like you know you you want to ensure that like people aren't starving and like you you believe in you know like looking out for your fellow human beings. So, well, yeah. you know, I think the folks that resonate with socialism as an ism are also thinking under the guise of the gap between the governed and the government mm-hmm. being closed. Um, we don't live in that reality. Right. And so our understanding of government owning the means of production is very counter um, this like community centered thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's all in theory, right? Like yeah. democracy, capitalism, mm-hmm. communism, like it's all in theory. It yeah. exists in this place that's contained and imaginary. Absolutely. Um, in practice, it, it, it is very different. Right. You know, um, I do think, though, that like examples of communism that we've seen in the world have skipped a capitalism exhausting itself. I do think that like communal governance comes from capitalism exhausting itself Mm -hmm. in this idea that like oh capital being the center of our culture doesn't work for humans oh absolutely yeah (laughs) you know um anyway i studied political science so i could get really wrapped up in oh no i i i I kind of i kind of uh welcome it because one of the things that i want to do with the podcast when i actually develop a website is to have one page where it's just like a listing of all the different influences that people mm. mention, you know, so mm-hmm. it'd be Anne Rice and uh, Tolkien and, um, <laughs> you know, someone talked about Neil Gaiman. And Are you going to have a white influencers as an influencers for not white? <laughs> Say that again. I, I, In the spirit of my suburban experience, I was asking if you were going to make a white influencers list and an influencers who aren't white list. I don't know if you remember my story about that. Huh? I'm so I'm so confused right now. <laughs> all right, you could totally edit this out of the podcast. No, we we don't. It's it's all one take. Nothing is edited. So, so earlier I talked about like the suburban experience, right? Of f- false diversity. Oh yeah, that's funny. And the yeah. hot l- girl list and the hot for yeah, not yeah. white list. So I yes, that's all. <laughs> no, well, actually, something that I kind of do want to do is I want to. That's that's super funny. See if, if I you mean would, in retrospect because I had to explain. Yeah, no, it but like, like I, it's I okay. Did. But if 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 you had said the like 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 hot white woman influences, I think I would have gotten the joke uh, okay, more. Okay, so the hot thing was what yeah, was yeah, because like the sexualization. Yeah, yeah, the sexualization. <laughs> there, there is. I kind of do want to make a page where it is, um, uh, 
different white celebrities that like guests have confused. So yeah, so like you confusing mm. Liv Tyler and Evangeline <laughs> Lilly. Like I would actually kind of want to do That's that funny as shit, yeah. because there is. Um, do you watch any of Jesus and Marrow's stuff? Oh yeah, I mean for a time I did. I haven't watched them recently, gotcha. but they're funny as shit. Yeah, yeah, they're super funny. Mm-hmm. And so there, there was a sketch. It's on. It's on YouTube. It's um. So I think it was. Marrow trying to help Jesus understand, like differentiate different white celebrities, because the oh, whole thing—it's awesome. it's like, oh, we're on Showtime now, so we're gonna interact with more white people. So, so he was showing him like pictures of like Chris, like all the Chris's in the, uh, in the science fiction universe. My girl has a calendar of white Chris's. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so it was like Chris Pratt and mm-hmm. uh, Chris Pine, like all yeah. of them. And so I think he's showing him a picture of Chris Pine, new Captain Kirk, mm-hmm. you know, uh, dude in Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. and and. And uh, Jesus is like, I don't know who the fuck that is. He's like, I don't know, Ashton Kutcher. And he's like, oh. and he's and he's like, it's Chris Pratt. It's Chris Pratt. It's Chris Pratt. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, this is Chris Pine. <laughs> and then eventually, and he's he's like, dog, like you gotta tell your white people apart. It's Chris Pratt. And then at, at the bottom it says it's actually Chris Pine. And I'm like, that is the best thing ever. Yep. You're trying to help him differentiate white people, and you have them confused. So yeah, yeah. So I yeah, I might do the like yeah, what you know, white women we got confused, that or yeah, yeah, like shit. yeah, yeah, the. <laughs> You know, yeah, you're uh, you're hot for a white influence. Yeah, like right, maybe that'll right. be it. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, it could be Neil Gaiman. Um, there was something I was going to say. Oh, but but something that I I would like to do because I hope that this sort of like expands out to the universe that I'm trying to create is I want to have a different section where like the things that you have talked about um, or you know, the things that different people talk about like that's highlighted too because one of the things that I want to show is not only do I think these conversations are super interesting but then a lot of like the why and the work that people are doing mm-hmm. that informs these conversations are super interesting as well mm-hmm. so for instance something that we talked about a little bit when we met up a couple of weeks ago was um you know like i i really love the work that cooperation jackson is doing down in jackson mm-hmm. mississippi um I, you know, I remember when the elder Shogwe Lumumba was elected to mayor yeah. of Jackson. Like, I followed that, reading about the Republic of New Africa. That, I mean, that's kind of, like, where my mind is going. I'm like, that's what, like, you know, right. I'm trying to create, like, at least in this section of East Germantown. Um, and, like, you know, that that is something that, like, I would want to highlight as well. Because I don't want it just to be, like, oh, yeah, we talked about a bunch of white people and how they influence us. And, you know, we talk about this work it's like oh no i actually want to create portals yeah for people to explore this work and just because this is my show and i make everything about me in my mind the republic of new africa and cooperation jackson for my definition is a capitalist enterprise oh, because interesting yeah because, yeah. because it, you know it's it's the it's individuals in the community making it you know <clears throat> owning their stuff right you know right. so i you know we could we could really get into oh, yeah, the nuance yeah. of the thing but i think this is a moment where language right mm-hmm. like sometimes convolutes the conversation because sure. we're talking about the same yeah. values yeah um and i see an opportunity to bring up the last white dude i wanted yeah. to talk about do it so uh i, I also want to say that you yeah. you might be one of the you are probably the most amazing guest that I've interviewed thus far what? of like really like guiding the conversation <laughs> because I'm trying not to over facilitate. No, 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 no. It's good. Like it's, it's an amazing amount of, uh, yeah, it's, it's been really good facilitation. Cause one of the things I genuinely, uh, you know, s- struggle and this is a very like, not really struggle, like first world struggle, struggle, but yeah. I'm, I'm always like, 
because I want these conversations to flow organically. Mm. And in my head, I'm trying to like, you know, make sure the levels are right and make sure we're not, we're not going right. over time and make sure we hit on things. But like there, there's so much stuff that we could go down yeah. where it's like, oh, do, do we go farther with this thing and not this thing? Mm. And many times... You know, like I haven't even really talked to you about the art that you create and the mm. mural that you've worked on, which I like want to do. Because, uh, but yeah, you you've been really good at being like, I'd like to segue into this thing, and and it hasn't felt like oh, this is my show. I segue, I'm not good. you. I'm glad. Yeah, but I'm also glad that you've done it because, like, as I'm sure you can tell, I get so lost in my own thoughts. I'm like, someone please reel me in because I don't know what I'm doing. I feel you. I can relate, you know, and I and I think I'm really grateful for this space. I'm really grateful to talk with you. Absolutely. And, um, being invited also gave me a chance to reflect on some of this stuff. So I just want to share. Yeah, yeah I yeah. just want to share some of the stuff you had me yeah, ruminating absolutely. on. Um, and it is related to my artwork. So this is, this is cool. It's perfect. Um, <clears throat> Alan Watts. Whoa, really? The, like Shout the, out to the, Alan Watts. The Zen philosopher? Yes. You have made my week. Yes. Thank you. So this is a complicated influence in my mm -hmm. life because he really um, made Eastern philosophy mm -hmm. his life's work. Yeah. And Eastern philosophy is a huge part of my mom's family's tradition yeah. and ritual. And so... To have a white man mm -hmm. explain to me mm -hmm. Zen mm -hmm. is weird. Yeah. And um, in so many ways, I think that um, we must make room within ourselves to see the world outside of race, too. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, mm -hmm. yes, like race is a, a nuanced part of this human being. Mm -hmm. And he has gifted us with a lot of articulation yeah. of things that uh, many of us struggle to articulate, yeah. right? And um, a lot of my artwork is inspired by Zen philosophy because I find those teachings center me most yeah. in my most unstable moments mm. and also help me pull me out of some of the more um, earthly experiences yeah. that can bog me down. And so um, Alan Watts has really been a big influence on me um, and the spirituality of my artwork, yeah. the spirituality of ritual that I have with myself mm -hmm. and the ways that um, my art are visual meditations, mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. I try to extract yeah. these like mantras that um, I need to work on internally and I turn it into an image and then yeah. I look at it and it forces me to think about this thing in a really focused way. And Alan Watts um, is kind of the other side of the coin of like the Tolkien language mm -hmm. gift, right? Like Tolkien is out here creating new languages yeah. and new worlds and Alan Watts is stripping it down. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. and, and is giving you the bare minimum and forcing you to really recognize um, simple truths mm. in, in their most uh, authentic form. And so, uh, yeah, I really wanted to shout him out for a second awesome. as a major influence in my life, uh, a complicated one nonetheless, yeah. and um, respect, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I grew up with a dad who, who did a lot of yoga and meditation. Mm, mm -hmm. He would wake up at 4.30 every morning to meditate before he would leave for work. And so meditation and these practices and self-ritual, I, I yeah. grew up exposed to Yeah, that. yeah. And to later in my adult life, 
learn about Alan Watts, mm-hmm. um, I went into a deep dive of just kind of like listening to as many of his talks Ooh, as I could find. Nice. And uh, he really puts me in that place, you know, especially when he talks about the way that psychedelics mm-hmm. are tools. It's a hack. Yeah. To get to simple truths. And I recently read a quote by him that I loved, which was that scientists don't keep their eye on the microscope or the telescope. After they see what they see, they step away and they synthesize that notion to the way they see the rest of the world. Mm, mm-hmm. And so psychedelics can work that way, too, yeah. where it gives you a zoomed in or zoomed yeah. out um, insight into deeper truths. But you're not supposed to stay there. You got to come back. Yes. And and synthesize that into yes. how you move through the greater experience. Um, all of that is is infused in my ex- self-expression. Oh man. <laughs> I'm so happy right now. And and I and I'm honestly um I uh I'm not the world's fo- foremost expert on Alan Watts. I read a couple of his books when I was a freshman in college, like mm-hmm. I had a roommate who I just sort of like, like, you know, when you have friends where you're kind of in love with them and you kind of like, I want to be you. Like he was that mm-hmm. guy for mm-hmm. a while. And um, I, th- yeah, so I think the uh, Talking Zen was the mm-hmm. Alan Watts book that he had. That was the first thing, that was the first book of his that I read. And really any type of spiritual introspection that I engage in, like, Alan Watts is really the singularity that like it all emanates from like that was the first person that I saw that um, didn't it was the first time I was uh, attracted to any type of spirituality where it wasn't like you kind of have to do this because I I went to a Christian elementary in middle school and I had great experiences I mean like it wasn't like you know no weird sexual stuff and no like you're gonna burn in hell but like it just it never really resonated with Mm me um well tolkien and alan watts were students of christianity Mm, mm um which is really interesting i think you know and um tolkien in particular he was very catholic Mm. and and there's definitely some like christian themes in his Mm -hmm. writing that's really present um alan watts i think really felt like eastern philosophy just made more sense to him right like the ways that um they hold space for spiritual questions made yeah. sense for him. And so he also was a student of calligraphy. Mm. I, yeah, I did know that. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Which is like Man. a cool overlap as well. Yeah, and oh, and there is, this is freaking me out a little bit in Eastern culture. You know, they say that like when you see someone's calligraphy, you see how they fight. Mm. Right. Mm. Like, I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. hero with Jet Li. No, no. But how someone paints calligraphy, you can see their fighting style Whoa. because the way you wield the brush is the same yeah. as the way you wield a sword. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, when you think about Wu-Tang Clan mm-hmm. and Shaolin mm-hmm. and all of these monks, you know, who who have married physicality with spirituality mm-hmm. and, and it expresses itself in forms like calligraphy and martial arts and the ways that that's then influenced black people. Yes. Right. And yeah. then white people um, is also just, I just feel so blessed to be sitting in this intersection of like amazing influences yeah. um, and to also be a body that carries the, in an intersection mm-hmm. of all yeah. of those influences, yeah. you know, um, it's a joy, man. This journey is, is such a gift. It really is. And it's, yeah, I'm, th- this is, I don't think you understand how, this, so all of this is, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's feeling very special to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, cause like I said, uh, yeah, I mean, Alan Watts was my, 
as I'm thinking about it, I think what I wanted wanted to say was he was my introduction into mature spirituality, mm. like like that. So and and probably from ninety six to like ninety eight, like I'm I read a fair amount of his stuff, and then you know, like most nineteen year olds, I was like, oh, shiny new toy. And I got distracted <laughs> by other stuff. Um, but what is interesting is how he in particular keeps reappearing in my life. So a couple of months ago, maybe four months ago, um, I was uh, talking to uh, a family member of Naomi's who was going through some identity challenges. You know, kind of a has had a bit of a similar background to like, you know, that we've had, you know, black youth in suburbia mm-hmm. trying to figure out, you know, what, what that means. And then, had also grown up in a, a particular um, religious community and that manifestation of religion and spirituality just wasn't really resonating with him. So so we were just talking and, and he's, he's like, oh, I've been reading a lot of stuff by this guy, Alan Watts. Do you know of him? I was like, dude, yeah. Like, so it, yeah, it was just, uh, and I, I don't think that it is a coincidence that like, you know, right. this is happening. Well, he has this way of kind of like neutralizing the experience because mm-hmm. I think that so often especially as folks um, in black bodies, the world is coming for you. Yeah. And it feels like there's this enemy and mm-hmm. in these like huge conflicts and tensions and traumas. And um, all of that is very real. And um, Alan Watts's articulation of these, of these principles, um, I think can frame that experience in, in almost a neutralizing yeah, way absolutely. of understanding the way the world works spiritually. Yes. What does it yeah. mean to look at a problem spiritually? Yes. What does it mean to analyze conflict spiritually? Yes. Um, what does it mean to analyze racial and economic injustices spiritually? Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for me? Yes. Um, and the work that I have to do right here, right now, right? Like he, to me, it's always going to be relevant. Yeah. And and true spiritual doctrine will always be relevant. Yeah. Um, and and I think that he's just been able to translate some of these ancient knowledges yeah. in into something that we can digest today. Oh, absolutely. You know? Um so as I navigate things like my identity, my gender and mm-hmm. my class and you know all of these um societal markers of myself, Alan Watts has been an influence for me to then get at the core of who is experiencing yeah. those things. And what does that mean for me moving forward? And also just this notion of like the point is to be here. Yeah. That's the fucking point. Yeah. Just be here and do the thing or don't do the thing. Yeah. You know, like there's something really freeing about that. Yes. Yeah. And one of the many things that I love about what you just said is that um, the examining these things spiritually has been a path that I've really consciously been trying to do and I think it is a big part of the reason that I'm just a much happier person just Mm -hmm. in life and not feeling like the world is happening to me right um and it's one of the things that I am I have been working to share with a lot of um the people that I know that are like that are involved in a lot of the work that we're doing um but I'm I'm like I'm very I get nervous and self-conscious about it because I feel spirituality is something that I have struggled with because I, I do think that I do think that there is a divine 
order to the universe and to the world. I think that that order can be very painful. And I do think that the racist police officer and the systems of oppression are a part of that order. And so I don't know how to reconcile that, but yeah. I'm, but I'm always, I don't want to, cause I, I sort of hate when people are like, oh, well, you know, you're, um, uh, your your best friend got murdered. It was part of God's plan. It's oh yeah, like, no, it's no, like, no, no, we're not fuck here for that. that. Like, no, no that. Stop, stop. That's not what we're advocating here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. And 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 I and I've I feel like because I've I've heard so many people sort of approach the thing like through that lens. It's like ah, I yeah. That's that's not what I'm trying to do. It's that's a shortcut, right? Yeah. You're, you're you're totally missing the point. I yeah. think when you um, simplify and collapse an experience in that way. When my sister died, I didn't want to hear that shit. Yeah. Oh well, you know she's with God now, and this was just like supposed to happen. And it's like no, fuck that. Yeah, no. You know, like fuck that. This was not okay. It's There's not so okay. many yeah. injustices along the yep. way that that led to her death. Yeah. Um. And, right, nine years later, is there still something to be learned and gained right. from this experience that can nourish me, that can provide for me, can loss provide? Yeah. Like, that's the ultimate Zen yeah. contradiction, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, what can be gained by through loss? Right. Um, how can you grow by restricting? Mm-hmm. Like, th- those, th- living within those contradictions not being the white or the black and the yin yang but the right. line that separates yeah. them like that that's the freeing thing right yeah right. <laughs> yeah you 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 definitely gotta you gotta take this you gotta take your pickle business like worldwide and share these philosophies <laughs> and listen mike we haven't do. even dug into like my nerddom around quantum physics like i am a self-taught like student of quantum physics be- just because that is another spiritual thing to me like yeah like yo quantum physics tells us the frontier of modern science tells us that it's all in your head yes absolutely yo i'm here for that yeah <laughs> i'm here for no that. D- d- you know d- d- Go into it. Go yeah. into it. I'll, I'll let you know. So it's one forty-three now. I feel like we should wrap up at yeah. two. So I want to. I want to hear about quantum physics, oh, and then, real? and then okay. I, yeah, like, and I want you to, you know, to talk about your artwork if you know if you want to, and <laughs> and I mean, yeah, I, I feel like you know the the art is a conduit to in, you know engage in a conversation with people, but yeah. D- well, I mean, everything that we've been talking about is a part of my art. You know, like I think creativity. We're all creative. We are all creating things all of the time. Um, I happen to be a visual artist mm-hmm. as well as an artist of other things. Yeah. Um, but all of the principles and experiences that we've been talking about are present in my visual expressions. Um, I was invited to work on a mural uh, down the block from Uncle Bobby's, mm-hmm. this uh, community arts nonprofit that uh, a friend of mine is running and, and helped co-found called Archive. O-O-U-R-Archive. Our Archive. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, has invited me and two other um, femmes of color mm-hmm. to work on this big wall. And I think we're starting sometime this weekend. Awesome. But the theme is revolutionary femmes of color. So it's nice. like whatever yeah, we yeah. want. Yeah. Um, and this piece in particular, I think I'm going to just talk about it. I haven't yeah. revealed it yet, but... Um, All right. For the... For the- <laughs> Seven people that listen to this podcast. This is breaking news. Um, yeah. So I, I felt a lot of anxiety around doing this because I've never scaled my art mm-hmm. in this size before. Um, I generally work on a smaller canvas, rice paper, you know, sketch pad. 
And the visibility of a mural also gave me anxiety, despite the fact that I post my art on the internet, right? right? Like being a physical, visible space was very stress inducing to me. And it created this huge block creatively. I was like, oh, fuck, I don't know what to make. Why, so, why, why do you think it was stress-inducing? I'm just curious. Um, the pressure of the visibility, mm-hmm. right? The the pressure of the craft being outside of my experience, never mm, having mm-hmm. done a mural before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the, the pressure of feeling like this is my opportunity to mm-hmm. send a message. Mm-hmm, What's mm-hmm. that message yeah, going to yeah, be, gotcha. right? Like... And and so I, I, when I was confronted with this writer's block, I dug into the fear mm, that mm-hmm. was the blockage. Awesome. I was yeah. like, okay, why am I feeling this yeah. fear? Let me dig into this. Yeah. Maybe there's something there. And so um, I came to this understanding that like most fear is rooted in the notion of scarcity. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. isn't enough. Right. There isn't enough money. Yeah. There isn't enough love. There isn't enough opportunity or time. And I choose to reject that myth. Mm-hmm. I choose to identify scarcity as a myth mm-hmm. because my work with land and people teaches me that actually abundance is what's natural. Mm-hmm. Right. And and there is enough for everybody that doesn't mean we have access to all right. of those things. That doesn't mean people aren't hoarding those things. Right. However, abundance is natural. Mm-hmm. And so let me release myself of this fear. Let me manifest that I will have other opportunities to share more messages. Yeah. Let me manifest that um, there is enough validation in this world for this piece to be bomb mm-hmm. and for other artists to be bomb. Yeah. And there's no competition here. No competition. It's all yeah. collaboration. Absolutely. And let me also reject this notion that like, it's not going to be good enough for me. If I'm making it, it's me and it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. So, you know, I, in, in trying to understand the fear, I came up with a concept that helps remind me of this realization. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I need something that's going to remind me of what I learned just now that abundance is real. Yeah. And so, um, I like to use dashiki mm-hmm. design mm-hmm. as a way of framing things in blackness. Mm. Um, so the, the border is, is dashiki print. Okay. It's a bordered dashiki. And I write in Japanese and in English, let go of scarcity thinking, realize abundance. Mm, mm. And the translation of that was really difficult because I was politicized in English and there isn't a whole lot of accessible radical mm-hmm. Japanese mm-hmm. language to mm, me. Okay. And so I worked with, um, shout out to my friend Hisayo. Hisayo is from japan from chiba and lives in toronto and is really my only like radical mm-hmm. politicized japanese yeah. friend and and so we work together back and forth on the best way to translate this concept in english into japanese and at the end of the day i was kind of like listen if japanese folks don't get it it's my patois i'm gonna reclaim this language sure, and turn yeah. it into something that makes sense for yeah. me i don't need to always be the one bending to mm-hmm. conform to japanese expectations yeah it's i'm valid mm-hmm. so this language is gonna bend for me yeah I like that. I I love it. I love it. Keep (laughs) going. Thank you. So I translated that. And then um, I chose to depict mugwort, which is a healing herb that grows like wild around here. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's also a highly spiritual herb that is known to activate your lucid dreaming. It's good for nightmares because it gives you agency in those dreams. Yeah. Um, It's known to reconnect you to your ancestors and, and really unlock those connections. And so 
whenever I see mugwort growing, I see it as a phone call from my ancestors, mm. right? Like mm-hmm. every time I see it, that's where my mind goes. Um, Okinawa is one of the very few places in the world where we actually consume mugwort mm. as in food. We eat mm-hmm. it in our goat stew. And it just so happens that Okinawan spiritual re- tradition is is entirely ancestor worship. Mm. And so for this plant to grow in abundance in Okinawa and in Philadelphia, visibly everywhere in vacant lots all over the place, that is abundant. Yes. And yeah. it's, it's a phone call from the ancestors. Absolutely. So I was like, word, abundance is mugwort, yeah, yo. Like nice. that yeah, is yeah, abundance yeah. to me. Like that looks like abundance. And so I kind of just put all of that into one image and that's what I'm going to be painting. I love it. Like (laughs) everything that you said, like I love, I love, I love. Um, One of the things I was very happy about when we met up a couple of weeks ago and you were talking about abundance, I, I, I am, I want to hear more of our people having that spirit of abundance, like live within their soul, be a part of their, their mental and actual verbal vocabulary, like to have it inform how they move in the world. Um, And I think that it it really connects into with what you're talking about, like dreaming, aspiration, Afrofuturism of like, like this idea of like the, the, not defining ourselves by the lack and the like the shit that we get, but like, you know, understanding that like that, that stuff can actually inform the abundance, you know, yeah. like, you know, when you were talking about, you know, like, uh, can loss be tools for growth? You know, I'm, I'm not sure of the exact words that you use, but you know, like in that spirit, um, I like, I love it. I wish, I wish that, yeah, I wish that more of our people, were were socialized to like have their brains fire in that way because I think that a lot of us really aren't and it's very understandable mm-hmm. why we're not but like circling the wagons it, it's after a certain point the the return on investment I do not think ultimately helps get us to where we all want to go and yeah. the fact that this is going to be publicly displayed for people to consume mm. I love that as well because I so I am I am not a big art museum person in the sense of like, I love for art to like live in people's lives, Mm -hmm. which is why like going to a concert is so much more awesome for me than like listening to the music in my house, like, which is awesome too. Um, And one of the things that has kind of uh, uh, dismayed me about Philly is that I think that a lot of Philadelphia is very provincial and like, art is for rich people to like and it's like no like it no like and and yeah like demystifying it or decolonizing it i I don't know what the right it's ironic right because these elite art spaces are always extracting from like the poor people absolutely you know what i'm saying like the people who who um have to create art for survival for survival sanity yeah you know um and in so many ways like my work with land is is has unlocked yeah. a lot. And one of the things that I think really resonates with me in in overcoming struggle is that in nature it's really difficult for any life form to grow in a state of survival. Mm-hmm. Right? If the temperature is reaching cold, it's not going to bear fruit. It's worried yep. about making it today. Yep. And so what can come from somebody who's nourished and nurtured mm-hmm. 
is is a totally different thing yeah. from just making it and and that comes back into the theme right of like struggle being so central to like black identity and black experience um and and what does it take to kind of nurture and nourish yeah. enough that we can then be receptive to these things like that's what land work has offered yeah. you know and and unfortunately and very very understandably um land work is so closely tied and associated with slavery mm-hmm. and so a natural response yeah. has been i know slave right and it's yo i feel you yeah. i really feel you and can we recognize that um black folks were enslaved because of their gifts in working the land can we recognize Mm -hmm. that it's not the land that enslaved us Mm -hmm. it's not the land that you know created the the slave trade yeah and so um revisiting that and unlearning that and and then finding all of the messages and lessons that um that we're meant to remember yeah i don't even think it's a learning thing anymore it's a remembering absolutely um and and working with land has absolutely reinvigorated my art as a child i wanted to be an artist i wanted to be a visual artist and i used to draw all the time and then of course like other skills become more practical Mm -hmm. um i was also a musician i played lots of instruments super hardcore band geek um all through high school and and in my adulthood, I, I really just kind of neglected those yeah. those skills of mine, those gifts of mine. Um, and, and in doing this work now, I realized that like I was being suffocated in a different yeah, kind of way. Absolutely. And so yeah, this artwork, this artwork shit has really helped me with this organizing yeah. stuff, right? Because like to be in community with people in this kind of intimate way, you have to check in with yourself. Yes so much it's a it's a divine responsibility to Mm, do so mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. my art helps me do that yeah my art helps me digest and process those things it helps me cope with those moments of like being called in being called out for my bullshit you know like how do i deal with that like yo artwork helps me deal with that um and this abundance piece was really a cool opportunity for me to dig into things like fear yeah. and where do they come yeah. from and, and how can we soothe some of these self-induced fears, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I, yeah, I, I love it. And I'm, I would love to see the, the worlds of art and activism and organizing and just and art is a part of intentional community yeah. and I think one of the, the the great cons that we've internalized is that art is this superficial activity for the frivolous elites, and like, mm-hmm. and and it's not, and and yeah, and, and there's um or that it's this like hobby, yeah, right, or luxury, right, or that entertainment's value is um is superficial. Yeah, I think that's very real. Um, but interestingly enough, like the arts industry, I think is the is the dominant economy like force. Like I yeah. think the the creative industry is yeah. the most dominant yeah. economy right now. Absolutely. Um. So we're consuming more media than yes. consuming anything else. Absolutely. In reality. Mm-hmm. Um. And if quantum physics says that it's all in your head, and we're digesting all of this media, then how are we not being more critical about? the media that we ingest Mm -hmm. like you know it's cool to 
to really be conscious about the food that you put into your body, let's do that, you know? But are we also being conscious about the food for thought yeah. that we're putting oh, into absolutely. our minds, into absolutely. our souls? Like, let's think about that, yeah. you know? Yeah. And in the same ways that we should be growing our own food because I don't trust the food system sure. to yeah. nourish me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to make my own fucking art mm-hmm. because I don't trust the entertainment industry yeah. to nourish me. You absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's... That's the real black renaissance. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I mean, and it was, it's one of the big reasons that like I wanted to make this podcast was it's like I, I wanted to make content that I thought would be interesting yeah. that like that I thought I'm like, I, I know that there are people out there that this will resonate with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I, the dream is to monetize this. Like I want to earn my vocation from this, but more than anything, I want to provide valuable content for people and I feel like if I do that then whatever money I need to like be happy with my world mm-hmm. will be a byproduct Abundance. even if it happens 10 or 15 years down the road it's it's like it's like the yeah. it I feel like the, yeah and and I I one of the things that I have loved about the phase where I am right now is um you know I there are some qu- quote unquote, big name people that I would love to interview. So like, I would love to interview Barry Jenkins and just like learn about just his craft as a filmmaker. I would love to interview. So Kareem Abdul-Jabbar like actually writes like these Sherlock Holmes inspired um, mystery novels. Yes. And, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is actually on the writing staff of the Veronica Mars reboot. Shut up. Yes. Which I'm like, I didn't know that. It's fucking so interesting. (laughs) I'm like, I love it. So like, I'm like that that thing alone is an interesting story. So like so like there are air quotes big name people mm-hmm. that I would love to interview. And what I also love about um a lot of the people that I'm interviewing right now is showing this like you you don't have to be on the TV or the whatever like to to be an mm-hmm. artist and and some of the most profound work is is being made by people who like when you look at them it's like oh that might just be Veronica who like drives a school bus it's like yeah like maybe that's one thing that she does and she does this and she does this and these ideas that she Mm -hmm. have it's like that could actually change your mind more than I don't know Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon or not like whatever but yeah like just really demystifying the artistic process particularly for our people and 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 helping our communities really understand that like Yo, like you said, like this is a requirement. Like, like, yeah. like this is you, we we are depriving ourselves yes. when we don't do this. And then they say to know others is wisdom, and to know yourself is enlightenment. Mm. So it's a divine responsibility. Yeah. And I think the greatest crime, along with all the like very overt physical tortures, yeah. right, is is depriving Black people of the chance to know themselves. Yeah. That is a travesty. Yeah. Um. And I think that at the end of the day, we're fighting for this space to do it Mm -hmm. we have to get to know ourselves you know like it's one thing to uproot a whole people and erase their history it's another thing to then systematically prevent them from being able to understand them their present selves their present selves yeah right like that's genocidal it is oh it absolutely is it absolutely is spiritual war yeah it it is and um the this this may sound like super corny but like i'm here for the corn I love it. I love it. I'm gonna I'm gonna corn away, and then and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up in like three minutes. One of the things that like I've really been consciously doing is looking at other communities, whether it's communities that like actually exist in the world, or like or even engaging in, you know, doing a, a critical like look at 
sci-fi and fantasy to really like understand how cultures perpetuate themselves. And so like one of the things I'm super interested in is like, so I want to go to Scotland and Northern mm-hmm. Ireland. Like, you know, I, I want to, you know, um, learn more from you at some point about like, you know, what, like what is your mom's relationship to like the country of Japan and the institutions oh, and like that, because, yeah. and, and, and so like, for instance, like, things like that, Scotland, Northern Ireland, where it's like, okay, so there is a Scottish identity within the United Kingdom. And how does, how does the Scottish community broadly generalizing reconcile that? And how do individuals reconcile that? Because I think that can be very informative for black people in, you know, in North America, where it's just like, you know, I mean, I can declare myself a a sovereign nation tomorrow, and I still have to use American currency to like buy milk. So, um, but it it also even just reminds me of uh, in was it in Thor Ragnarok when Thor's dad says like, you know, Asgard isn't a place, it's a people. And right. and I think that one of the, the, the great cons on us is, you know, being, being taken away from the land and then like having the land colonized and then kind of like sold back to us, which is happening right. even now. Like right. we don't own Africa. Other mm. countries own it. China owns Africa. China now. owns Africa. <laughs> we don't even fucking own black Philadelphia. Like some of us do, but like not a lot. Actually black people own less land now than ever before yeah. in, in American history. Yes. Black land loss has been, Oh, you listen, Mike, yeah. you know, we could go in all yeah. different directions. Um, but what you're speaking really resonates with, with me very personally and deeply because you know, as much as um, as black folks, we're lucky to have the history that we do have about yeah. our family. Um, my father still has a really deep sense of of questioning mm. in in heritage yeah. and has spent a lot of time trying to unpack and learn more about his family history. Yeah. And he envies my mother's indigeneity. Yeah. yeah. And my mother um, for a long time took her indigeneity for granted mm, mm-hmm. because of the internalized assimilation pressures of, um, of Japan and yeah. the United States. And so, um, living with, within, inside of that, uh, contradiction of like being indigenous and then being displaced has been really weird. It's yeah. been really weird yeah. because my dad's influence has really radicalized the way I feel about my indigeneity. Yeah. Um, which is dif- different from my family, right? Mm-hmm. Like my family respectability politics exists in all colonial spaces. Yeah. And yeah. so I come off as this like radical leftist extremist to a lot of folks in my family right. um, who also at the same time hold this indigenous pride. So like there's a lot of nuance there yeah. that um, I think a lot of indigenous community can relate to. Yeah. And also exists in black community. Yeah. But um, yeah, there are folks who know their connection to land and don't necessarily think about the value yeah. of that relationship. Yeah. And then there are people who have um, a, a completely displaced experience. Right. Yeah. So um, how can we exchange some of the things that we're learning yeah. on, on both sides? Yeah. And come to this place of understanding is something I'm really invested in and awesome. learning more about. Yeah. It's one of the reasons that I like, uh, you know, the, you know, we haven't had a, a lot of uh, interactions with each other, but they're, they're always very fruitful and beneficial to me. And it's one of the reasons why, Likewise. you know, I try to, you know, help you in whatever ways I can so that you can keep doing what you are doing. Feeling is mutual. I love it. Let's I love keep it. building. Abundance. Yes. Abundance. Abundance. <laughs> there and back again. There and back. I, oh man, you're yeah. This is good. This is good. All right, um, we're gonna take like three minutes. So if people um, want to find your the various artwork that you've created, what is the best ways to do that? Whether it's viewing it in person or through right. digital means, how how can they do that? And how can they? Yeah, 
I mean, keeping it super real, I only just recently, like, really started taking my art shit seriously. Um, shout out to my partner, Austin, for really, really putting that uh, out there for me. But uh, right now, Instagram mm-hmm. is really the best platform. Gotcha. I'm going to be building a website over the winter. Nice. So I really hope to have a public website in the new year. But my handle is so drawlin. S-O-D-R-A-W-L-I-N because awesome. my nickname is So, 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 Show. And I draw. <laughs> <laughs> I be drawing. So it's oh. funny. Like, I, I, my name is only written in Japanese on mm-hmm. my Instagram. So I sometimes I forget that, like, people who know me through Instagram don't know my name. So they'll see me. And they're like, oh, that's so drawing. I love it. And at this point, I've been in Philly for almost 10 yeah. years. Um, despite not having grown up here, my roots are starting to really like take ground mm-hmm. here. And and I, at this point, I've been here longer than I've been anywhere else yeah. in my life. And Philly has given me so much. Um, it's given me community. Mm-hmm. It's given me a reconnection to land. Yeah. It's given me the chance to live in black community, mm-hmm. which I never got to mm-hmm. have. Um, and so, yeah, I be drawing. Uh, so drawing is my Instagram. I love it. Um, it. And then, be shopping, so yeah, be women drawing. be shopping, so be drawing. <laughs> um, yeah, that that's the best place. Um, hopefully, the mural will be ready yeah. next month, and that's going to be on Church Street, um, in that fenced lot down the street from Uncle Bobby's. And and for people that live in Philadelphia, aka Mary and Anderson City, that aren't necessarily familiar with the Germantown area, so this is like a little bit off of Germantown Avenue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. it's not even a block off of Germantown gotcha. Ave. It's it's right there. Um, shout out to Archive for giving me that opportunity to really flex my my skills. Um, yeah, that that's my art. And, you know, shout out to Soil Generation. Yeah. Uh, I organize with a black and brown farmers coalition in the city, mostly women of color. Um, that's my other art, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. is community organizing. I do a lot of policy work uh, around food, land and environmental yep. justice. Yep. So that's the less sexy reform work that uh, is necessary. Very necessary. I think, for collective liberation. Um, it's not the most radical or revolutionary thing, but um, but it's it's work it's that has work. to be done. Yeah. And so, yeah, SG, SG is my family. SG is my uh, my land tribe. Yeah. And I, I really attribute so much of my personal growth to that community. Yeah. And if people want to find Soil Generation, yes. what's the website? At Soil Generation, www.soilgeneration.org. Um, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, all right. So uh, I have a couple final questions for you. So again, thank you so much for just thank like, you. thank you for just being you, just being your authentic self, sharing, collaborating, just awesome. Love, 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 love. Um, thank you for bracing this cold weather. <laughs> Listen, I was today. telling Mike earlier, y'all, that I'm cozy goddess. I wear the layers. I'm ready for the cold. It happens every year. We got to be ready. This is true. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. Like cycles there and back again. They, they're, they're and back again. We should not be caught off guard by these things. <laughs> The, but there is a there is like a, a time frame of denial like yeah. in the fall where you got to be underdressed a couple times mm-hmm. to realize oh you tripping yeah, it's you need happening. to go get that it's, winter yep. coat stop playing mm-hmm. so it's cool it's time right. I'm telling y'all right now get your winter coats yeah but as, as what well, once we really get into like the second half of November if people Ugh. are like dude like I don't, I don't have any mittens it's like nah, you like well you never know I was sweating on yeah. Christmas last year because yeah. climate is all crazy it is um, it so is. we'll see I mean layers I think right yeah <laughs> but la- layers are a good way to go 
Um, okay, so if... Uh, aside from Interview with the Vampire and The Witching Hour, is there another Anne Rice book that people should really like take in? So Interview with the Vampire is one of a series of novels called oh. uh, The Vampire Chronicles. Okay. The Vampire Lestat is the thread that strings all of those stories is together. Is that Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt? It is Tom Cruise. It should have been Brad Pitt because Lestat is supposed to be blonde with blue eyes and right. like really pretty. Gotcha. It, that's a whole, that movie's trash. Tom Cruise so, is cute-ish. Eh, he's not he's Lestat. Kinda, yeah. He's right, not yeah. Lestat. Um, also, the movie Queen of the Damned is horrible. That's another oh, right. Anne yeah, Rice. So yeah. Queen of the Damned, yeah. the um, Interview with a Vampire, those are all from the Vampire Chronicles. Okay. And I recommend all of them. Okay. But my favorite one out of all of them is called Memnock the Devil. Mm, okay. And throughout the, the stories, Lestat really struggles with um, being a vampire and not having a soul. Or at least thinking that he doesn't have a soul. Mm -hmm. Because he grew up very Christian and mm. very spiritually mm -hmm. invested as, as a human. And so Memnock the Devil is... Um, Lestat's adventure alongside the devil himself Whoa, about okay. the fall of the fall of the angel and and the ways that Memnock questioned God, accused mm, mm -hmm. God. What is the real story of the fall of the angel from his perspective? Um, and Lestat is walked through that story by Memnock himself. Interesting. And um, Anne Rice also has a really interesting spiritual journey as well. She was very deeply spiritual and uh, had a fall from faith for a while yeah, and mm -hmm. also then came back to faith yeah. in, in a different regard, I think. But sometimes you have to break down to rebuild the right way. Absolutely. And this Absolutely. novel, I think, was really her her fall from faith as she was taught. Yeah. Right. Um, it was what preceded her rebuilding faith for herself. Yeah. And so um, questioning God. Yeah. Yeah. Super heavy shit. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, what are some Octavia Butler books that you recommend? Um, I mean, Parable of the Sower is mm -hmm. my favorite. Yeah, that's your favorite. Um, I think that that can be read over and over yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah, that one, that's the one. Nice. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, and finally, if there are any young people that are listening to this, particularly young people of African descent in whatever proportion that shows up for them, but the, the, the existence that so many all of us go through at some point <laughs> even if it's for a day yeah. if, if if that's a part of who they are do you have any uh any words for them mm, well that's a big one um stop and breathe before you do anything else i love it thank you so much sonia it's it's been an absolute pleasure. I really Likewise, appreciate you coming by. Likewise, thank you so much for the opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, folks, that wraps up our uh, episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, as always, I hope you find your story, and I hope you find your truth. Peace. Peace.